Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I'll say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow. Now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host A. Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk. Welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. All the interviews you are about to hear originated on my SiriusXM radio show, Trunk Nation. That's heard live daily on Faction Talk 103, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, or listen anytime on the SiriusXM app, live or on demand, audio, video, and a lot more there as well. If you only listen to the podcast and you can get SiriusXM, you're only getting a small fraction of what I do live on the radio every day. Please come on board and join me for the radio show. You can get three months free if you go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk, and you can sample SiriusXM for three months on the radios or on the app. No credit card required. So make sure you get the full picture and come on board on the radio show if you are not listening that way already. This week, as far as guests are concerned, we've got two back-to-back for you again. Now, last week on the podcast, we had Brad Gillis on. This week, his bandmate in Night Ranger, Jack Blades. Great conversation with Jack, very wide-ranging. Spent a lot of time talking in Cancun, Mexico a couple weeks at an event we were both guests at called The Sands. You're going to love this chat with Jack. He's uh, just great in this, and that's coming up first. We'll follow it up with a conversation with Kip Winger, talking about uh, the Winger box set that has recently come out. So always great to visit with Kip. He'll be second this week. An 80s hard rock extravaganza. Jack Blades leading us off. And yes, of course, some damn Yankees talk as well. Kip Winger following it up here on the podcast this week. We'll start with Jack from Mexico. Enjoy. 
Oh, it is always a treat to visit with this gentleman who is sitting before me here in Cancun, Mexico on this Monday to start off the week. An old friend and a fantastic talent that's always great to get to see when he plays live, which he'll be doing here at the Sands on Wednesday with his band Night Ranger. It is Jack Blades. Good to see you, buddy. We find ourselves in the craziest places sometimes, we do. don't we? <laughs> Cruise ships, resorts know, uh, in Mexico. All, 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 uh, New York, and New, New, York, New Jersey, LA, New Jersey, Vegas. Vegas, all those kind of things. You got yeah. Vegas coming up, as a matter of fact. We got, and so do you. You have Vegas coming up. Yeah, we have it. Um, I think it's February 1st and 2nd or something like that. Second and third or something like that? I don't know. Check it out, Eddie. We better... Adam Steck's going to be mad not, if not we don't this get Eddie, the right there. Not Eddie. Your tour manager. So, yeah, Eddie. Eddie. There's two He's Eddies in this room. It's very confusing. Someone needs... We need signs here. Eddie's need, coming out tonight. You yeah. should write a song. Be a good idea. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I was way off. Okay, it's February 16 and 17. February 16 and 17 the, at the Strat. At the Strat. Yeah. My buddy Adam is the pr- producer there, so I'll yeah. make sure I got that in for him. With Stephen Piercy opening. Yep, Stephen's going to be playing with us. And these are really dates great. that were supposed to have been earlier, but they got shifted, so Correct. now they're in February. So Correct. if you're in Vegas, go there. And then we're also, the other place we're going to be together soon is um, Key West, because you're on the That's Rock Island right. too, right? That's right. Yeah, we're down there at the same thing. Like you know, Can't here get we away go. from me, Jack. I know. Here we go. It's, <laughs> we go all the places that really suck. Florida, Canada. <laughs> Cancun, you know, I, I mean, know. come on, like, <laughs> this is not bad, right? Well, I just told my audience, because I'm looking at that view straight ahead, which is behind you, but yeah, that view, yeah. and I'm like, you have no idea my commitment to this radio show, because I'm looking at palm trees and 85 degrees, and bikinis, and drinks, and ocean, <laughs> and I'm sitting here on the radio, yeah. uh, but that's why I took Thursday, Friday off, because I don't care who's around and wants to be interviewed, and I ain't doing shit those days, I'm going to be out there, uh, but yeah, man, so we got a lot of good stuff coming up and um uh, you know i say this sincerely well brad was on the show last week and we spent an hour brad and i brad gillis yes. the guitarist from night ranger <laughs> yes. killer brad's a killer guitar player. i heard that yeah <laughs> no. but brad was That's on my buddy come on man brad... we're like we're like this we were like we're like simpatico brothers from another mother brothers from a broken rubber That's <laughs> Can you say that? On yeah, the, of course. You say anything the oh, fuck you okay. want. <laughs> Eddie liked that one. The other Eddie. Uh, the other Eddie. <laughs> By the way, what is Eddie's coming out tonight about before we go on? I always Eddie, wonder that. Are you serious? Yeah. Really, well, we, um, when, when we first started out as Night Ranger, we were, uh, of course, called, what were we called? Ranger or Stereo or something like that. We were actually just, we were playing in this small little club on, on in San Francisco called the Palms Cafe on Polk Street. It held, it held maybe... 75 people, maybe yeah. 80 people. I had a long bar with a tiny, tiny little stage at the end, but this long bar here. And, um, and we used to play there, and Brad used to go and like, do his solos. He'd just run out on the bar and kick people's beers over. We, all, we never made money. We always had to pay money because he always like knocked people's beers over and shit. But, but, um, but this guy that always used to come in, his, his, his name was Eddie, and he always come in with, a, with two badass women, one on each arm, right? And, you know, he'd just come walking in, and he just, this is, this dude had a big old hat, you know. It's like pimp? We never asked. Okay. And we never asked. We don't, you know, but so it's. Maybe why you're still sitting here, because yeah, we didn't yeah. ask. But he'd come in, and he loved it. Whenever we played, Eddie would be there. And so whenever we were going to play this place called the Palms Cafe, we'd always say, you know, we'd be down in the boiler room, which is, which is like the dressing room, right? right? It was like, and we'd be like, I wonder if Eddie's, I wonder if Eddie's coming out tonight. I wonder if he's going to be at the show. And I always thought that was like, shoot, man, that's a good, you know, a good title for a song. And so it's kind of like all about him, you know, he's, he wears his trousers 
real tight, his skin's so white, lives, you know, beyond his means, he wears Italian shoes that are used to good, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And kind of just, I just wrote it down from what I was seeing. You Did know? he ever know the song was about him? I don't know. I don't, I have so no So you didn't idea. really know him, know him, you just would see him at no, the show. No, no, we never even talked to him. We never even Man. said anything, but he'd come in all the time whenever we played there with two fine-ass women with him, one on each arm, and it was awesome. So to this day, that guy, if he's still alive, may not know that he inspired a Night Ranger classic. Yeah, God bless Eddie. Yeah, God wow. bless Eddie up there, man. I can tell you as a kid in high school, as you know, being named Eddie as I am, uh, I was like, you know, I got your first record, and it's like, because Don't Tell Me You Love Me and seeing the video, I'm like, this is kick-ass. And there's a song on it called Eddie's Coming Out of Time. I'm like, they wrote a song about me. Look at me, everybody. You know? <laughs> I love it. I tell you, that was like a big deal. This is about me. This is about me. I'm going to know these guys one day. Oh, look, the drinks have I'm arrived. Gonna, I'm going to be sitting in Cancun one day with these guys talking to them about their career <laughs> in 40 years from now. <laughs> and it's all about me, me, it's me. about me. Oh, look at this drink. What look do you got this. there, man? What, what exactly is that? It's a... It's a top shelf Margaret, Margaret, but what kind of mango, a mango. Oh, look at Jack Blades day drinking. Look at I this. Know. So Can you know you you're not it? playing tonight. I don't have to play for three days. Ah. I don't have to play till Wednesday. So yeah, this is, this is a rarity for me. Cheers. Right? You never, Enjoy. Have you ever, outside of taking a shot of tequila with us at the shows, have you ever even seen me drink? I don't know, actually. No, not I'm, a, not, I'm not, not a big drinker. Not, me neither. Me neither. I actually, it's funny. I never, ever, ever drink at home. He's drinking one of those girly drinks. What's that? Yeah, Ed, what do you have? What do you got? A little pink drink. You got a pink drink. Oh, he's see got a Miami Vice. See his pinky came out. Ed, tour manager Ed has got. <laughs> he's got a pinky ring on. <laughs> a Miami Vice. Oh my! You God. know what's funny though about I never ever ever drink at home ever. Like if I'm home, I'll be home for a month. I was just home for a month. I won't. People, oh, you brought, no, nah, you brought me one. Oh, no, day drink. How much time's left in my yeah, show? An hour, <laughs> an hour and 25 minutes. Hey, I might be able to have one. Look, man, we're in Cancun. You know what? Come cheers. On. Cheers. Fuck cheers. it. Let's do one. Here we there go. There you go. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Yeah, Night Ranger and crew. 40 years for you guys, too. 40 years for you and 40 uh, years for crazy. us. So you got to love that. Yeah, this is our tequila, pre-tequila tequila toast. You, of course, will be toasting with us at the show right before we play. Here on Wednesday, yeah, Why not? Of course. yeah, you got to come and do the tequila toast. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But what I was saying is, I never, ever, ever drink at home. Like mm -hmm. even if I got to dinner with friends, never. But when I'm away from home, I'll have a drink. I'll have a drink as I'm with you now. I'll have maybe a drink tonight when I'm at my place in Vegas. I got friends who go to dinner and have a drink. Home, never. People will come to my house watch football or something. They'll leave a case of beer. They'll come back the next season. The beer's still there. Like, what's wrong with you? I don't know why. It's just the way I do it. Did you ever have, like, like I know everybody back in the day had their thing, especially in the 80s. But was alcohol a thing for you or no? Never. I've never been a big drinker. I've never, I mean, like, I'll have a nice cold beer on a hot, hot day. I think that's the most killer thing on the planet. Mm. You know, a good old Mexican, you know, like a Mexican beer, like a Modelo Especial or something like that, you know. On a on a real hot day or something like that, but I don't drink. I'm not a wine drinker. I'm you know, I'm not an alcohol. I'm not a I'm not a like hard liquor drinker. I'll drink tequila. I like tequila. I, I do like, I like tequila. Well, that's a, that's a <laughs> but I'm not like I, I I don't drink every day. I drink maybe you know like I never. I'm like you. I'm honest. I mean, like, we never drink at our house. Molly and I just, we're not big drinkers. You know what, what I mean? was your vice back in the day in the early years of Night Ranger? Did you, you guys, I, obviously, well, Brad was telling me last night that the, that the scene in uh, the legendary scene with Sister Christian and Boogie Nights was not too far off for oh, a few geez. nights you guys had. Oh, my God. I think we were in that guy's house. <laughs> 
Well, Brad Pitt. I think we were literally in that dude's house up in the freaking Hollywood Hills. So, well, I was having, the reason why this came up is because I was having a drink with Brad last night. And Brad said something to me about a guy. I think, well, well, okay. So we found out last night that Michael Maglieri, who owns the Rainbow and the Whiskey in LA, passed away. I don't know if you heard that. God bless him. Yeah, so he passed away at 74. So I was talking to Brad about the old days. And Brad said, oh, we had some times in there. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, you guys being a Bay Area band, did you ever play the L.A. circuit or anything? He said, no, but you made your records in L.A. Right. So then you'd always go over to the Rainbow or the Whiskey and have your fun and get to know people there back in the early 80s, right? Oh, it was just, I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was like, it was like we were recording and we were recording maybe maybe three blocks south of, of, of the Rainbow, okay? So we'd all go up to the Rainbow. Somebody would be doing, like Kelly would be singing a, a vocal track or something like that. And so we'd all go up the Rainbow to like 12 or 1. And then at one o'clock in the morning, we'd bring everybody, like we'd bring like 20 people (laughs) from the rainbow down to the recording studio, There's a hot tub in the studio, there's this and that. And we just had this massive party upstairs was the, upstairs was the, you know, room, the the producer's room, (laughs) everybody was chopping the, you know, and everything like that. rails, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so we'd bring everybody and we'd make it a big party all the time. It got so crazy. All the guys in Motley, the guys, um, you know, once Rat came out, um, you know, just everybody. I mean, just we, they'd all come down. I mean, you know the fact that um, those guys are on our albums. They sang on our albums. Well, the, you sang on a lot of their albums. Didn't I sang, you? yeah, yeah. I sang. You on sang a, on Doctor Feelgood. Doctor Feelgood. Yeah, that's me that's, on that song. That's on me. That... On, on, that's me singing on um, same old situation. That's okay. around the microphone in at Little Mountain Studios up in Vancouver. Um, singing on that song, same old situation on the chorus was Steven Tyler, me, Vince, and Brian Adams. Oh, that's a day. All of us around the thing singing in same old situation. That was us singing all that stuff. There's a picture. I have a picture somewhere. I think I put it in Vince's book or something. How did you get tied into that though? Because you, that was recorded, as you said, in Canada. So were you? Did did you actually go in for just that session, or did you happen to be there? No, I, I tell you, that's when Night Ranger basically broke up in 1989. In February or March of 1989, we all kind of went our separate ways. You know what I mean? Everybody's. Like I said, I'm out. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I'm not. And so I didn't know what I was. And Vince and I had been friends. Vince Neal and I had been friends since 1984, I think. Right? I met Vince right after that tragic accident where Arousal was, you know, mm-hmm. and that whole thing. And so I've known Vince. Vince and I were always great friends. And like I said, they'd come down to our our um, studio and record. So I called Vince and, and I said, dude, I, I just love my band. I don't have a band. And he's like, wow, are you kidding? He said, well, we're cutting, we're cutting record. We're, we're cutting our album up in uh, Vancouver at Little Mountain Studios and uh, with Bob Rock, of course. And, um, and so he said, why don't you just, I said, yeah. He said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I'm just hanging out. Why don't you just go up there? Why don't you come up and hang out with me? So he had a two bedroom apartment up there and so i flew up there and he just he just you know got you know got me in there and we just we just hung out for about about seven eight nine days and just stayed all those guys were sober at that time they were all everybody was completely clean you know motley was completely clean and sober and so vince and i just stayed up all night like you know just talking and talking about life and just just everything like that and then i just hang out and just go down to the studio and one time they brought their tattoo artist up with them um, uh, Tommy Lee was getting all his ink and stuff like that. The, the cat from L.A., um, something James, I forgot his name. But um, they brought him up, and, and I'm like, they were all, come on, we're going to the tattoo. And I'm like, I'm going to get a tattoo. I've never, I don't have a tattoo. I'm like, I'm going to get a tattoo. And it's like, okay, okay. you get, So I go up there, and I'm looking, and I'm like, dude, I'm going to get a tattoo. I want him to give me a tattoo right now. And, and, and Tommy and Vince goes, 
dude, we're not going to let you until we call Molly and she says it's okay that you get a tattoo. Your wife? Or, yeah, my wife. You Molly. were married then? Yeah, I was married then. Yeah, I've been married 46 years. So it's like, <sighs> we're not going to, dude, they, they knew Molly. <laughs> and they're like, we're not going to, unless we call Molly and she says it's cool. And I'm like, go ahead and call her. And so they call her and it's like, Molly, Jack's at the, the tattoo parlor with us and we're sitting here and we're not going to, but, but we're calling you right now if it's okay with for you. Approval. Yeah, for approval. And he's like, and, and they're like, uh, you know, and Molly's like, he can do whatever he wants, man. I, I don't care. And so, and so they hang up and they said, okay, it's cool. But by then I'm like looking up that thing and I'm like, you know, it's Mickey Mouse, you know, and, and love and mom. And I'm like, dude, I'm not going to do this. So do you have any tattoos at no, all? No, never Me did. neither. You need, how about that? How did you Guys, dodge that bullet? 40 years in rock yeah, with how no did tattoos. You do that? How did you dodge that? It's so, it's so permanent to me that it freaks me out. Like the, the permanence yeah. of it freaks me out. Yeah, yeah. Ed's got yeah. something. Ed's, Ed's got, got some shit. Yeah, TM's Ed's got good. something. Yeah, you yeah. guys, you, everybody. Yeah. I mean, we're, the, we're, well, we're the guys that are not the norm. Obviously, more people than that. I mean, you go out here to this resort. I mean, there's Everybody's a thousand people here. There's probably probably have a hard time finding people like you or I that don't have any ink, but never had a, ta- don't have no tattoos, never had a piercing of any kind. Me, I, I never yeah, did. I just, yeah. but the tattoo thing, the only time I got close was when my kids were born because I was like, the only thing I could probably do is I could see putting my kids initials that's on me cool. because that's, I would want that permanence. Right. Yeah, yeah. But anything else, I'm like, I'm just going to regret it at some point, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I know. And there's still times where I'm tempted at 59 to say, you know, look, look, and Jack, I got a lot of canvas if you haven't noticed, you know, <laughs> six two two sixty. I mean, people have a field day on this, you know, but uh, I just never did it, man. Yeah, I, I just yeah. and I don't like the idea of the needles and all. And I have friends that are legendary tattoo artists. Mario Barth, I know who I just did some stuff with yeah. legendary tattoo. Like I did a thing on my old TV show with Paul Booth, who's a legendary guy. Yeah. As a matter of fact, people who remember my old show, that metal show, and there were people stopping me out here at the resort about it. There was uh, early in the season, I love the band UFO. They're one of my favorite bands. Right. So early in the season, if people saw very early on, the, my co-host, Donna Jim, talked me into, we're going to interview this tattoo artist. And we went to his studio in New York City, and it was all a setup where they were going to pressure me to get a UFO tattoo on my arm. Wow. So the guy had the logo and the stencil, and he was ready to go, and, was, and they just wanted to guilt me into it. And one thing they didn't know about me is I don't cave to any peer pressure. I don't give a shit, which is probably why I've made it 40 years with no drug problems or right, nothing. I just right, don't get I do right. my own thing. So I never caved to it, but they put, for the purposes of the show, a fake one on me. Uh-huh. So at the end, the camera shot my arm and it had the UFO tattoo. So for years, people would come up to me and go, dude, let me see the UFO tattoo. And I pull my sleeve up and there's nothing there. You fucked me. <laughs> you, you bullshitter. <laughs> let me see your ink. Yeah, but yeah. I just have no ink, man. I don't know, man. Think about, you know, Johnny Depp. I mean, it's like, you know, forever Winona. It's like, ooh, fuck that up. Well, I can't <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you do I mean, like, yeah, and so maybe that's why I never wanted to, like, have something like that. My son, man, my son Colin, the artist, the, the painter artist, he's got blades across his back. It's, like, freaking unbelievable. Really? Oh, yeah, he's got amazing things. Wow, Yeah, he's wow. got some amazing. he got a lot of ink. He's got a lot How of How long ink. did you say you were married? 46 years? 46 years this year. Yeah. What is the secret to maintaining a marriage in, in – what do you think the secret is? Like, as you know – the wreckage in the world of rock and roll when it comes to being oh, the yeah. stats are not good it's not pretty not good for i mean 
Alice Cooper's another guy that comes to mind, yeah. long-running uh, marriage. Yeah. But for you, I mean, you spent the better part of your 40 years on the road. You're still on the road constantly. Right. What's the secret? Just finding the right person? Or how does that work for you being in a touring rock band for over four decades? I think, it's, I think it has a lot to do with the person that you're with just as your best friend. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, Molly, and understand, yeah, and, and very understanding. Molly's, Molly's never. I don't know why this is always weird. Molly's never asked like, what goes on on the road? She's never. <laughs> she never once. She never once had not that. I mean, you know, but I mean, it's like never. You know, never. But she's very much like very supportive. Very thing. She has her own life. She's very she's secure in who she is. You know what I mean? And very. You know, she always has been. And um, just, you know, and we're best friends. We're straight up with every, you know, we don't, we don't mince words. We don't, you know, and everything like that. And just, we have a blast together, man. I mean, we just have so much fun together and everything like that. And still, after all these years, you know, it's like still crazy after all these Does she like your band? Night Ranger? Yeah. She's not down here, is she? <laughs> <laughs> she loves Night Ranger. <laughs> I don't know. I've talked to guys who are like they don't, she you know, ma, they don't like they don't they don't like the band. They don't like nah, the music. They just loves, I who what band? Yankees. She loves uh, she, the Tommy and I. Shaw Blade. She loved TMG when I did with Tak Matsumoto over in Japan from the Bees. And everything. in fact, we're doing another record next year. Is that right? Yeah, I heard that band's pretty big over there. It's really doesn't big, Tishy yeah. play drums in that? Tishy uh, used to. Yes, yeah. he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. He he told me about Brian that plays band. with uh, Dead Days. He's, I think right. uh, Tish is with them now. But I think I just saw him post he's doing something with the bees again. On oh, the really? Side, maybe. I, yeah, well, yeah. Maybe he's doing the TMG thing with Tak Matsumoto and us. What is that? I, like I don't that. really understand. Is it a well, band called the Bees? I know we're all over the place. Okay, here, they, but. there's a band called the Bees, B apostrophe Z. That's the freaking, they've sold 80 million records in Japan. It's two guys. It's like Koshi uh, Inaba, I think, and uh, is the singer, and then um, Tak Matsumoto, who's the guitar player. And they're just. It's like when you're with them in Japan, it's like Elvis. They're, it's the parting of the Red Sea. They're, they're so famous. I mean, they sell out the Tokyo Dome over and over and over and over and just everything. They're massive in Japan. Wow. And they have been for 25, 30 years. And so Tak wanted to do a solo record, um, and he called, uh, he called me up. And this was 20 years ago, which is mind-boggling for me to think about. But he said, I'm going to do the solo record with, um, uh, and it's called, you know, TMG, Tak Matsumoto Group. He got... Um, he got Eric Martin, the singer from Mr. Big. Eric's a great guy. I just had Eric in my studio a week ago, two weeks ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know yeah. Eric. They're forever. doing a whole Mr. Big thing yeah, yeah. coming up and everything. So, so he, had, he had myself and um, Eric, and, um, and then he had different drummers play it. And we got a drummer, a touring drummer. We got um, the, uh, the, um, oh, Chris Frazier, Chris Frazier, who plays with Foreigner right mm-hmm. now. And so, and so we did this whole album we did a tour it was a number one record in japan number one song in japan number one this the tours sold out everywhere and everything like this this was 20 years ago and he called me up um he you know, just like about you know a couple months ago and said look i want to do a 20-year reunion i'm like whoa okay let's do it so, so what do you, do you play bass in it too yeah play bass eric sings okay eric, is, oh so you don't have to sing lead at least can you imagine how wonderful is this, that good for how you easy you like that <laughs> Do you like that? Not I, having to sing? And, I sing all backgrounds and, and right. I sang, what did I sing? I sang, I sang co-leads on like one or two songs. And then at the end we played a couple, you know, we played like Rock in America and um, um, To Be With You and, you know, and stuff like that. We did a couple songs there for the encores um, with TMG. But so we're doing it again. We're pretty, you know, it's going to be fun. It's amazing. Fun. It always amazes me how there's bands like that, like in Japan that are that huge and, and we have no idea unknown here. I and even, even Canada, which obviously is way closer 
and obviously speaks the language and all of that. But there's tons of bands you hear about. Tragically Hip were like gods in Canada. Nobody mm -hmm. knew them here mm -hmm. in America. Mm -hmm. There's like that, the, like the Canadian American thing is always amazing to me. Did Night Ranger ever do? You ever do business in Canada? Do you do well there? Uh, we have a couple gold records in Canada, and we we never toured that much in Canada. We always kind of stayed in the states and Japan. But um, we you did guys a went to. Tours. I have a live uh, Night Ranger from oh, Japan, dude, like been, from the nineties. I've been to Japan in like like twenty times between Damn Yankees and and Night Ranger. I mean, we love Japan. Yeah, I mean, Japan loves us. We're still you know still selling out shows over there and everything. So it's it's kind of fun, you know. Those audience man, they they they're with you from the beginning. And all the way to the end. And Mr. Udo, the, uh, the promoter, just, just passed. passed. Yeah. Just passed away. He was a great guy. He believed in us from the very beginning. 1983, he brought us over there. I mean, we had gold records over there before we even broke in the States. Wow. I mean, you know, don't tell me it was just coming out when, we had, when it was big over there. So crazy. I've never been. You should come with us. I'd love to go. You should come I've over with been. us sometime. I'd love to we go. We took Niels Lozar, the famous photographer. Yeah. You know, Niels Lozar. Lowe's Lowe's. We took him one time. That was insane. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Lowe's and I, just, I, I think we were out there for three weeks that time, but uh, Lowe's was great. But, yeah. I mean, he took pictures and everything, and it was just, Neil's great. He was great. I want to I go back to, because we're just shooting the shit, and some people would like to talk to you, so we're going to grab oh, a couple okay. calls if that's cool. Yeah, no But um, I want to go back to something we touched on a second ago, though, because you said that you, you sang on Same Old Situation on Motley. Yeah, and Sticky Sweet too on that record. You did that on a lot of records, didn't you? Didn't you do like whether they were ghost vocals or even credited that people wouldn't know on other people's records? Did you do a lot of that? No, not not too much of that. Did a lot of songwriting. Writing, right? Songwriting you're on. Did, you have some stuff on Get a Grip, Aerosmith, right? Yeah, yeah. Shut um, Up and Dance? Shut Up and Dance, yeah. That's yours, right? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Yeah, that we're 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 writing songs with those cats, and it's just the craziest thing. I mean, it's it's tough. We're sitting there with Tommy Shaw and I, Tommy and I, and, and Stephen and Joe are sitting at Joe's place, the Bone, the Bone Yard in in, Yard. in Boston. Yeah, I was. South, I've been there. South South. Yeah, South he sold South. it now. He's out of there. Oh, is he really? He's in Sarasota now. Oh, he's wow. completely out of Massachusetts. I don't believe blame that. him. It's yeah. not warmer in Sarasota. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we're down there at the Bone Yard and and uh, at his studio and everything like that. And it, every time. <laughs> Every time you're with Aerosmith, and it's like, it's like, um, okay, let's. Let, how about this? We got got a little idea for this. And da, da, da. Nah, we did something like that on rocks. Um, okay, how about this? What are you gonna? Oh, that was kind of similar to that that the song on side two of Night in the Ruts. Um, no, okay, okay. What about this? No, we kind of did that like on this. Like, what, what happened? So I started slap style basing, like, like. You know, I started doing this whole thing, and Stephen's like, that's great, that's great, you know, I love it. And that's how the whole idea came about for Shut Up Dance, like, bam, 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 bam. And there's a break in it that's like, because I was in this band called Rubicon that was a funk rock band. Right, I remember. Yeah, yeah. California at, Jam, you yeah, played Cal Jam, Cal right? Jam too. yeah. Yeah. That uh, uh, Trujillo said that said that he started playing bass. He was 15 and a half, and he goes, "I saw some bass for some band named some band named Rubicon play at the Cal Jam too, and that inspired me to pick up the bass." I'm like, "No shit!" Wow! <laughs> I'm like, wow! He okay. doesn't know it's you. I don't think he to this day. <laughs> I'll make sure I tell him because I talked to Robert. I'll yeah, make sure yeah, I tell him. Tell him, tell him that. Tell him that. Yeah, I'm glad he plays bass. I like the way he plays. He did a doc on uh, Jaco Pistorius. You ever see that? No, because no, he but I worships Jocko. Jocko. Oh, dude, I love Jocko. He did a documentary on Jocko. On, on Jocko, you should look it up. It came out like I don't know five years ago. It was really good. Oh man, he put Definitely. a lot into it. He put a lot of money into it, and he really like I'd went for it because he that. he loves him and he 
wanted to tell a story, which yeah. is a wild story. Wild story. Like how he died. Sad story. Yeah, sad story. Very, yeah. very sad. Yeah. yeah, I was a huge fan of his. But anyway, so what were we talking about? We were, we were songwriting about, with other oh, people. Oh, songwriting. Yeah. So Stephen and Chuck. So I started playing the slap style thing. That you know, um, on a break when he's like rap and Stephen's kind of like rap, doing a little rap on the break and stuff like that. And I heard Eddie. I I busted him on this one time. I I, I said. You know, when I saw them like a couple years later, three years later or something like that, I said, did you use my bass part because someone else couldn't play that part and you used my dem- the demo that we cut in there and you used me and you didn't give me credit? And Steven's standing there and he's like, oh, and Joe's like, Steven, stop. Don't te- did- I said, did you? Did you, Steven? And he's like, oh, God, and he wouldn't admit it. <laughs> So you're saying that you, the uh, bass track on that Aerosmith song is not that, Tom Hamilton. It's just you. that break. I'm wondering. Yeah. I mean, Stephen kind of copped. It's not really it. Tom style, so I can no. almost see that. And it's just that break that, 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 you know, I was doing all that kind of stuff. We got to get Jack some performance royalties, man. Get your son on the phone. Get James on the phone right now. Make a, a call. They gave us credit for the song for songwriting, so we got that. Oh man, order. you know you reference. Uh, we'll get to the calls here in a second, but I just love shooting the shit with you about stuff because you know your career's been amazing. And we were talking. I was talking to Brad last night. He's like, "Yeah, it's forty years because we're kind of stretching. It's really forty-one, but yeah, why not run with it a little bit?" <laughs> um, but you uh, you mentioned Tommy a couple times. Tommy Shaw, who of course you wrote some of those songs with. Right. You did the Shaw Blade stuff with. You were in Damn Yankees with. I, what I don't know is where does your friendship and your history with Tommy Shaw begin? How did you first meet him? Was it from Sticks or what? Did you guys tour with him or something? No, no. I, I, um, the first time I ever ran into Tommy was at the uh, American Music Awards in 1984 when um, he was out of the band by then. He had just left, I think, in 82 or something like that. When Glenn Burtnick came in? Yeah, yeah. And he, so he was doing his solo, he was doing his solo stuff, like, you know, uh, Girls, Girls with, with Guns, guns mm-hmm. and everything like that. And, um, and, um, and so I met him. He was, he was dating, I think he was dating, like, Pam Dauber or something, like the actress. Okay. He was with her at the American Music Awards. And it was like one of those things where I, Kelly and I were getting up because we gave Prince the award for the best album for Purple Rain that, that year. You know what I mean? So we're, that's a whole nother story. You gave Prince the award. On stage for Purple Rain. Yeah. Did he tell you not to look him in the eye? Or? Oh, geez. We got a letter. We got a letter. We got a wait, letter. Wait, no. We'll finish the okay, Tommy okay, story. Okay, then we'll the get to this story. Just, oh, my God. Gold no. with Jack Blades. Oh, you're going to love this week. one. Wait, wait yeah, so finish yeah. with Tommy, so Tom, and then we'll go to Prince. So I met him. So it was like one of those things. Hey, hey, hey. We, we knew who each other were, but we didn't know each other. So This is so, Tommy. Just this is Tommy knows. Shaw. Yeah. So, so fast forward to 1989. I had left Night Ranger, and John Claudner, the, the legendary A&R director that was at Geffen Records at the time, called me up and said I would never pull somebody out of a band but I heard that you've left Night Ranger and I've got Ted Nugent and Tommy Shaw working on some songs in New York City and um, it just it seems like something's missing you might be the missing link why don't you why don't I fly you to New York and you check it out let me know and so I'm like oh yeah I didn't have anything you know it was right after I came back from um, Little Mountain Studios with Vince and, um, right. and Tommy and everybody so it was like 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 a week and a half, two weeks later or something. And so, so I flew to New York and, and ended up on Tommy's Brownstone in the Upper West Side with, uh, you know, in my Halliburton suitcase and was like, hey, 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 hi, Tommy, hi, yeah, you can stay in my place. Uh, and so it, that was the first time you reconnected since you met yeah, him at the awards. Yeah, and from that, and that point on, we were, we were joined at the hip. I mean, Tommy and I are just as, as thick as thieves. We were as thick as thieves from that very day 
to, yeah, I mean, to now. I mean, well, you know. I and mean. it's amazing, like, the blend of your voices together, whether it's in Damn Yankees or for, for people who haven't heard the Shaw Blades records, they're incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, you guys harmonizing and singing together, was that something you developed or was it just right out of the gate? Right out of the gate. Yeah. Just like we just, Tommy would start singing, I'd start harmonizing, or I'd, I'd start singing, he'd start harmonizing with Tommy. His voice is just amazing. It was almost like the freaking Everly Brothers type thing. Yeah. The two of us just, it just clicked. And it was the easiest thing to do. Easiest thing on the planet to do. I mean, it was effortless. Like, it, when we were in the studio cutting the damn Yankee stuff, that's with Ron Nevison, who's the, who's the, the legendary producer that produced Led Zeppelin sure. 4 and, you know, Quadrophenia, UFO. UFO, all the, your band, UFO. UFO all of course, those, Bad right? Company. Bad Companies, all that I've stuff. I've had Nevison on this show. He's yeah, just, Heart, he's, with the big hearts that, yeah, that came out. Yeah, the whole know? comeback stuff. And yeah. Ron, is, Ron was always like a, a real slave driver and really hard and all that, really hard to deal I'd with. I'd always heard that Nevison was... And I asked him about this, but I had also I had also always heard that he was as a producer particularly hard on singers. He was. Did you find that he was he was particularly hard on singers, and it was effortless with Ron because every time he'd ask us to sing something, Tommy and I'd just go out in the studio and go, "Yeah, okay," and we just sing. It was like first take, second take. It was just like done. Okay, now double it. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, next. And it was so, so it was like Ron and Ron and Tommy and I basically were in the studio constantly just doing everything. And all the other guys, like the guys in heart, like Mark Andy's the bass player. He's like, oh, you're using Nevison? Wait till you, wait till you come to the bass player and singing. I'm like, well, we already did all that. He's like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> like it was just, I mean, it was, with Ron, it was as easy as can be because we could perform. You do what he the, wanted. The way he wanted it to be performed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Tommy and I were just, it was easy for us to do that. And it would be right on the first time or second time and in pitch and everything. So. And it's amazing because I just saw Tom, last time I saw Tommy was, uh, well, I just mentioned coming up, you're going to, we're both going to be in Key West at this event, Rock Island. I host it. You're playing it again. Um, Tommy and Sticks played it last year. So, oh, did they? I or, or, or well, technically this year, early mm. this year, because mm. it's early next year. But anyway, I saw Tommy and I just stood out there in the crowd and watching this guy sing. Like, I always say, I, every time I talk to Tommy, I'm like, you, you, made, you made some sort of deal with the devil because you, you especially from the state, from the audience, he looks the same exactly. Right, right. And he sings like, effortlessly like perfectly no all those high notes he's way up in the trees i don't it's know how freakish. those guys because usually those cats that sing really really high they lose that stuff you know what i mean they lose it that's what they lose when they get older but tommy man he's like in shape he's you know you know he does everything right I mean, it's just you know what i think it is i think it's because he's in the white castle hall of fame <laughs> did you know that? No. What did is, you know that Tommy Shaw is in the White Castle Hall of Fame? What does that fame? even mean? I had him on this show what to talk about it. What is the White you Castle? Know, you mean the hamburgers? Yes. Yes. What is he, Tommy eating yes. meat? I was like a you, vegetarian. All I know is, do you know Danny Zalesko, the concert yeah, promoter course, in Phoenix? Of course, yeah. So I've known Danny for decades. Danny, no joke, is like... He doesn't work for White Castle, but he might as well. For people that don't know, Danny Zalisco is a legendary, old friend, legendary promoter in the Phoenix area. He still promotes. Uh, his company was Evening Star back in the day. But Danny, uh, so Danny used to manage a band that I signed in the late 80s. So as soon as I got to Scottsdale, first thing Danny's doing is, you, you know, you can order off the menu in McDonald's. He's telling me all these tricks of fast food that you can eat, right? 
and look at me like I need any more coaxing. I'm like, you know, dude, come on. I love, I live for this shit. He's like, you can go in and get the triple cheese. You can do this. Oh my God. So Danny is on this board like this, like he got inducted into the White Castle Hall of Fame, which is a real thing. And the year he went in, Tommy Shaw was the other inductee. So I, I had Tommy. So, so Danny. What did Tommy ta- say that even means? Danny told, ta- they actually went to like, the headquarters of White Castle, which is like in Illinois or something, and got the award. It was like a real thing. So I had Tommy on talking about it. What did he say? He doesn't eat White Castles. But you're outing him now because apparently he got the award and he's like a big White Castle guy. (laughs) On the air, he said he's like, you know, back in the day, it's his favorite thing. Oh, back in the day. He doesn't eat them now? Is he a vegetarian? Well, he was all through the damn Yankees and all through the... Maybe he's not anymore. Or I do know, last time, I try not to go too often because it's not good for me, but last time I was in, the White Castle were offering an impossible option, impossible burger (laughs) option. So maybe he's... White Castle Hall yeah, of Fame. Yeah. I knew he was in the Alabama Hall of Fame, Music Hall of Fame. I think this may even transcend that in his... He was, he was in the... When he got inducted in the Musical Hall of Fame, so was James Brown at the same time. And James Brown walked in, and it was like... It was like... It was like... Oh, oh, oh I want to meet you, James Brown. Hi, James Brown. And this is Mrs. James Brown. His wife was Mrs. James Brown. Tommy, Tommy tells that story. It's awesome, man. Um, All right, two things. And then if you have the time, I'll take a quick yeah, break sure. and I'll let some people talk to you on the yeah, phone. Yeah, no problem. That's cool. So um, I want the Prince story. But before okay. we get to the um, Prince story, I got, speaking of taking care of ourselves as we get older, as I talked to, uh, I saw you, last I saw you play was with Brett at the, in Jersey at the oh, PNC yeah. on yeah, the party right, ground. Right, right. And um, we were talking and it was, it was crazy because even before you sat down here, before we went on the air, we were talking about different supplements we take and this and that and all this stuff we got to do, which is the conversation as we all get older, we all seem to have more and more. I know. It's what not about, you know, it's, yeah, it's just like, you know, what do you, what, you know, what supplement are you on? What cholesterol med are you on or this or that? But how are you feeling? Because, you know, you had a heart, you had a heart uh, attack, I had, right? A heart issue. Yeah, I had a heart issue. Did you actually like, have a heart attack? I don't, it's, everything registers that, that I'm okay. Like I never, you know, my heart's not damaged and everything like that, but something, yeah, something happened. Yeah, something happened. And so. Did you go out? Did you collapse? Oh, no, 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 not at all. I'm like, what is going on with me? What Were you on stage? No, 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 no. It was, it was before the show. It was, uh, I'd flown down to um, Anaheim. We were playing in Anaheim and, and I woke up in the morning. I'm like, dude, I said to Ed, I mean, like, I mean, I had coffee, you know, had my, you know, had some breakfast, had some, you know, yogurt or something like that and coffee and an espresso or something like that. And, and all of a sudden I was getting like indigestion. We eaten some bad Indian food the night before. And I'm like, yeah, it's probably something like that. So it gave me an antacid or something. And, and it wouldn't go away. Suddenly, my, both my arms started tingling. And I'm like, Ed, let's go to the hospital right now. So we did. And um, then the next day, they did one of those um, angiograms on me. And had to, had to take a freaking pipe cleaner to a few. Uh, so did you get stents? I have one, yeah. So you, so you had a blockage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they got to it before you yeah, had a heart attack. Yeah, there was Thank no, God. Yeah, I was okay, yeah. So the doctor said to me, it's the canary. It was basically like the canary in the coal mine. I said, "Dude, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't." You're real thin. You're the yeah, same weight I, you probably always out. been. Yeah, I'm. 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 I'm like pre damn Yankees weight. You know what I mean? I'm like. Uh, you know, I'm like everything is. I mean, what's going? He goes, dude. It's just you're. You're one of those under the radar dudes. My this cholesterol was low. My this bad one was low. This was low. Everything was low. And he said, he said, just think about it as the canary in the coal mine. It's like genetics. 
you know, my dad had heart attacks. Yeah. He died of a heart attack. There's so, so. many factors to it. It's not even funny. My no. mom, my mom had bypass when she was probably around my age. Um, and no I kidding. Yeah, really? yeah. And, and I take care. I take after my mom in every way. I still have both my parents. They're both 82. God bless They're you. both still good. Thank God. But yeah, but my mom had open heart uh, bypass back in the day. So I'm always getting checked. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I got to tell you, and I, I touched on this story a little bit on the air, but I say this as a cautionary tale. I have no problem talking about medical stuff on the air because my audience is around my same age. And you got guys that are afraid to talk about whether it's colonoscopies or this or that. You know how many people in the 40 years I've been doing radio come up to me and said, hey, because you talked about that, I actually listened and got that screening and it saved me. So if you have a platform, it's, not, it's important to talk about. But there's this test called calcium scoring which 150 bucks they do a scan and it's non-invasive. There's no prep and they look in your arteries mm-hmm. and they can tell you if there's some buildup happening, yeah, right? Yeah. So every five years I get this. Every six months I get cholesterol tests. I do all, everything I'm supposed to Good be doing. Good yeah. for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm still way too much than I should. You know, I should drop 30 pounds, but I don't smoke. I never did. I never mm-hmm. did drugs. I rarely drink. But yeah. again, you got the gene. You got, you know, you got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. This calcium scoring test... They say like, like I've had three. The first one I was like, a, a, they rank you from like zero to 100. Zero the best, meaning you have no buildup. Mm-hmm. So I get the first test like 15 years ago and it's like a one. Mm-hmm. Great. Go back again. It's like a three. Go back five years ago. It's like a seven. All totally within normal range. But the doctor at that point five years ago says to me, hey, you know what? He's like, you got a family history, you're getting older, you should go on a cholesterol med, even though my cholesterol was okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've been taking that five years. Mm-hmm. I go get a physical a year ago. And I, I'm walking out and I said to the doc, he goes, his exact words to me were, just keep doing what you're doing, you're all good. Probably the wrong thing you should have said, because then I am going to go to White Castle yeah, right. drive through, right? <laughs> but then he says this to me and I go and uh, as I'm walking out the door, I stop and I said, hey, doc, I said, um, what about a calcium score? It's probably been five years. He goes, well, your cholesterol is good, man. You're on those meds. He goes, I don't think you need to worry about it. But if you want to do it, I'll write the script. I go, 150 bucks. Why not? Let me go do, do it. it. Yeah. Jack, when I tell you, like they considered dead man walking at like 80. My number was like 600 and something. Jeez. Shit, Eddie. I start. I was like getting my affairs in order i'm oh like my god how do you go from nothing on cholesterol meds in five years to a number that i don't even know how i'm above just an, ground just an age thing or is it what the- blew my head out yeah. so i start i'm calling him and he's yeah. like well yeah you got to see a cardiologist i don't know. I'm like thanks no shit so i get on I, so in the last year i've gone through this battery of tests because at that number i'm thinking i shouldn't be here right yeah, now right, and right. i also want to know how that number blows up in five years when I went on cholesterol meds and I did nothing different. Yeah. And what is it? It's just time and it's genetics, genetics and hereditary and all mm-hmm. that. But what happened with me, because I thought I was headed your way to get the Roto-Rooter, you mm-hmm. get it to get stents because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I got to be blocked with that yeah, number, right, right? right? I've gone through every test you can imagine. I don't have any blockages. Well, I'm good. flowing fine. 
That's good. So, so the, the, the guy said to me, he goes, while those tests are super important, they don't manifest in everybody's body in the same way. Interesting. So your number is ridiculously high, but it's not causing a problem. And if you don't have a problem, there's nothing we can do. Yeah. So I'm like, do I still exercise? He's like, yeah. He goes, I wouldn't go lift barbells like tomorrow, but he goes, you do whatever you want. Yeah. So I started taking Pilates recently just to start, like I'm the only guy in the class. I don't care. It's, but, it, but it helps, you know, I stretch oh, yeah. out a little bit. It's oh, like, yeah. it's the shit we got to do as we get older, yeah, man. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm uh, 69. And Brad told me last night, he's six. Brad looks great. He's like, yeah, 66. Brad's, yeah, 66. Brad told me his girl's a trainer or something. He's yeah, got with him now. Yeah, and he's got yeah. wet whipping him into shape. So, <laughs> but he's got him eating all the right stuff and everything like that. He lost a bunch of weight. And, I go, what, not that he had a lot of weight to and lose. No weight right? to lose. But I was like, what yeah. do you want to drink? He's like, uh, I got to drink vodka soda. I'm like, what do you mean you got to? He's got like, to. no sugar. I, you know, yeah, right, right. I, I go, I get it. We all figure our shit out as yeah, we go, you know? Yeah, yeah. But there's all those tales out there, like, you know, and all these screenings, if they can help you. Um, so now I'm assuming you got it. You get your shit checked all the time. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I went into the doctor like I had a complete physical like 10 days before this happened to me. It was like it, everything. Oh, yeah, you're good to go, man. You don't need it. I don't need to be on it. No, no, you're good. So it's like, who the frick knows, know. man? You don't even. It's all the luck of the draw, dude. And, and so then you got you Keith gotta, Richards. Yeah, yeah. You got <laughs> Seriously, you gotta love it. I, yeah. didn't, I just saw an interview with me still pulling on a cigarette. Eighty-one years old, unbelievable. He's got all his marbles. Remember when the coconut hit him on the yeah, head? I yeah. thought he was dead then. He's yeah, just put out like, a great record. I don't know if the Stones record's great that yeah. just came out. I was like, what? That's fucking crazy. It's unbelievable. You just can't that? figure it out. You got a guy out there who's getting polluted right now, probably doing rails off the fucking cherries on, smoking, <laughs> drinking, whatever. And that guy's probably gonna outlive to live to one hundred and ten. It's genetics, man. It's nuts. It is what it is. It All right, the Prince story, and then we'll talk, let you talk to some people. No, the Prince story is like when we were at the, um, like I said, in 1984, when we were at the American Music Awards, Dick Clark had us give the award, like the best of album of the year, Kelly and I. And, um, and they knew, they, everybody knew it was going to be for Prince's Purple Rain. And so they sat us directly behind Prince. And so our management got a letter from their management that, um, that, that basically said something along, I'm paraphrasing now, said something along the lines of, well, Oh, we understand that Jack Blades and Kelly Keggy from Night Ranger might be presenting Prince the Award for the album of the year, Purple Rain. Um, we want to, to make it very clear that in no way um, are, are Kelly and Brad um, to touch him, speak to him, <laughs> acknowledge him, or look at him in any way. And we're like, what the fuck? Is you got to present an award. Yeah, no, we're like, what the fuck? What kind of bullshit is this? You know, we're reading this and it was like, yeah. Yeah, they should not have sent that letter to us. Because we're sitting right behind him. I swear to God. We're like that throughout the whole thing. He's sitting there and he's got this big, huge bodyguard named Little Chick next to him. This is big old, big ass dude, you know, this massive guy. And he's sitting right, literally right in front of me in a, you know, you're in a theater and he's right in front of me. And every time somebody wins something, we go, Prince, man, can you believe that? We'd take him and hit his seat and go, Trent, check it out. And he'd be looking over and go, yeah. Man, can you believe that shit, Trent? Man, that's killer, man. I love this record, Prince. That's killer. <laughs> And if you see that, you know, you see the film of us saying it, I'm talking to him. I've said, hey, congratulations on this, man, when, you, when we're handing it to him. Good record, man. We really love the record. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you should have went and gave him like a big bro hug. And yeah, like, yeah, a big, like... uh, big uncomfortable guy <laughs> hug or something like that. But I, Prince was, uh, the, I, I ended up um, giving him an award again 20 years later for um, um, the Polestar Award for the best tour of the year or 
or something like that. Like literally um, in um, when, uh, 2004. And so I was at that thing with him and we were standing there getting ready to do it. And I'm, I'm like, man, can you believe this, Prince? I gave, I gave you an award 20 years ago for Purple Rain. And, and, and here we are 20 years later and you're getting an award. And he turned around and he goes, yeah, man. And he said, sometimes doesn't it feel like just 20 days? And I said, yeah, it does. And it was really true. I thought about that a lot. I mean, this, this whole thing, I mean, it just seemed like we just started out with Night Ranger back in 1983. And here we are in 2023. You know what I mean? 40, 40 years later. I mean, it's like it just went by, just pow, like that. It's I said amazing. It, I said it in Jersey when you guys were nice enough to ask me to bring you on there. And I said, the tr- I said that story. I said, it, I was in high school. And I saw you guys play at an amusement park by my house called Great Adventure, which that venue that you played at PNC with Brett this year Mm -hmm. is not far from at all. And I remember going there, and I remember it was a free concert in the amusement park. You guys are on your first record. I was a fan from day one. And uh, to me, to think that's 41 years ago or whatever is insane. It's totally insane to think that because, and I really believe this, Jack. I mean, we talk about age and we talk about, you know, our various aches, pains, ailments, whatever we deal with. But um, I do believe what we do. And by we, I mean me, you as a performer, me and and the things I do, even what a guy like Ed, your tour manager does. This world that we're in does keep us young. It keeps no, us. No question. I think it keeps. It does absolutely help to keep you young. There's no question. Once I was talking to Ozzy, we were talking when he was up at my place um, writing songs with Tommy and I up at my ranch, and and we were talking to Ozzy. Ozzy said, "Yeah." He said, "Like I go up on stage," and he says, "I get up on stage, and when the lights go down, and I walk out on stage." my brain thinks I'm 26 again yeah. or 30 again. And so I start doing all this stuff and jumping around and running and jumping, you know, and jumping up. And then afterwards I'm like, what the fuck did I do that right. for? You know, it's like, but my brain, that's what happens, man. Brain, yeah. It's like you go out there, it's like the lights go down, the audience yells, and your, your brain goes back to like what you've done like when you were 30 years old or 26 years old and stuff like that. And I think that... I think those synopsis, I think that all keeps you young. Man. When I'm on my foot it. hit the floor this morning here when I got up at 59 years old, I felt 59 years old. But when you play, <laughs> when you play on Wednesday and you bust into Don't Tell Me You Love Me, I'm 18, dude. Yeah, there you go. You know, I'm yeah. 17 and it's all on. And are. I'm fucking got my fist in the air and fucking you can and still rock in America. Yeah, and, it's and it's on, on. you know, yeah. you're the kid again. I love it. Last thing, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, which of course I should. Congratulations on the new record. Again, we covered it. At length with Brad last week, we did an hour with Brad. But you played this uh, show a year ago, forty years and a forty night years with and a contemporary, night. contemporary youth orchestra, Night Ranger with an orchestra. The video I saw it on Access TV Symphony. It's going to be out again on Access TV November uh, Access TV November eighteenth. The entire concert, okay? Because they did an hour cut. A short yeah, they're going to do it. The entire show is being is being played on Access TV um, the eighteenth of this month. Awesome. But yeah, um, Brad talked a lot about the experience of doing it, the prep, and 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 everything. And for you Ugh, with a symphony. I mean, I think my favorite song is Call My Name yeah. with the symphony. I mean, people should... So you cool should you watch. did that even. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had yeah. to because it just seemed like it all just... With a symphony and with the strings and with this and that. That song just is so it, emotional and everything like that. Just amazing. Yeah. Did, just you amazing. Do, did you do Damn Yankees? Did you do High Enough? We did do High Enough. 
because that'd be perfect. But it's not on the DVD. I don't think it's. Oh no, it'd be uh, that's perfect with an orchestra, right? Oh, oh, it was unbelievable. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was definitely. It, it was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. We didn't put it on the record because this is strictly, you know, a Night Ranger. Right. You know, but thing. you have a recording of it, like that. yes, uh, yes that's we cool. Do. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And number, you sent me the screen grab number one on. Uh, I didn't know there was a what is I it crossover? The, yeah, classical like, crossover rock. rock. I don't even know what this is. I didn't know there was a chart, but go chart, with it, man. Fuck we're it. number one. You're number one. Night number one on the classical crossover chart. Yeah, you gotta love that. I'm like, I'll take it. That's it. I'll take it on Billboard. You know, I say it all the time. There's a chart for everything if you look hard enough. But Billboard's Billboard, man. Go with it. That logo with you at number one. Boom. Put it on the wall. I'm good with that all the way. All right. So you got time to talk to a few people? Yeah. I'm done in like 30 minutes anyway. So okay. So Jack Blades is hanging. This is just awesome. I say this all the time, and and you just heard proof of it. There's nothing better when you do an interview than just kicking it with somebody. Oh, and yeah. when there's not like a hard sell, of course you got a new record out and all that. And we again we did a lot with Brad last week. You can hear that on the app. But I I just you know just love the fucking stories, man. Oh, That's yeah. what it's about, right? Oh, there's so many. And I, I, yeah, you got a book in you. You think I got a book in me? I know I you do. But do you have? Do you want to do one? I would. I think it would be fun. I, I think, think it'd a be lot great. of it with all the stuff that we've uh, with uh, that I've you know done and the singing and the songwriting and this and that and the other. Like I said, I mean we could just go on and on. I I could tell you a story about every freaking artist on the planet. You know what I mean? Uh, well, a, maybe some of these people will want to ask you. I'll, instead of me firing away, I'll let them fire away, and then they can get what they want out excellent. of you. Excellent. All right, so uh, Jack Blaze is here with me. If you missed anything, as I always tell you, rewind on the app or listen from the start whenever you get a chance because we got into some great stuff. Also, I had some news at the top of the show, so you want to get caught up on all of that. Uh, let's dive in on the phones, though, 844-686-5863. Our first caller for Jack Blades is Mike, who's joining us from Albany today. Hey, Mike, what's going on? Eddie, hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, thanks for taking my call. A um, couple of quick things I got to say to Jack while I got him on the phone here. Um, I had no idea that we had no tattoos, not a drinker in common, but what I didn't know that we had in common was I got 40 years in a night, <clears throat> the CD-DV combo, which is amazing let's it's it's lightning in a bottle it's magic Thank it's you. it's the whole thing is phenomenal and uh i was listening to the cd first and call my name was on the song list and i go oh you know that, that's going to be great you know but i'm listening whatever so call my name starts i hadn't seen the dvd yet and the wood you know the flutes or whatever started out or whatever and jack hadn't even started singing yet Honest to God, I started tearing up. I was like, oh my, what is wrong with me? I'm like, I, I literally got emotional. <laughs> like, I, he didn't even start singing yet. And then we started singing. I was like, oh, my God. Pop in the DVD later on and where they show stuff of them getting ready to do the show and stuff. And Jack starts talking about the first time he hears the orchestra do Call My Name at the rehearsal. And he's like, oh, my God, I got to sing. He starts choking. I was like holy cow i'm not crazy after all i saw that I clip yeah i completely i i when they started doing it i started crying i i, I got i mean like i was yes. like i got all choked up i mean it was serious i was like oh my god thinking about it now look at look at me i'm yeah. just thinking about it now i mean yeah it's just it's just something else i'm so glad we decided to put that on there you know even though it's from the very first record it's not a song that we play a lot but it's one of the, I mean, it just, it just, it was just, ma it was magical and it was magical that night. It was magical from the very beginning, from the get go. And, and we're, we're just, you know, I'm just pleased that everybody's feeling what I felt like you, you feel what I felt when, when I first heard it too. So I'm, I'm, uh, we accomplished our goal is what I'm 
thinking. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. It, it is. I, 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 I've been running around telling people, I'm like, I'm so glad that they did this for themselves, the fans, whatever. This is like a major feather in the cap, I think, for Night Ranger. It's, it's, the whole thing is beautiful. The show's amazing. When you yell, stop in high road before you start singing, I, I literally <laughs> fell off the cut, like almost like laughing because it was so cool. Like the way you go, stop. And then, <laughs> like, that was just, dude, that was just so, so incredible. But I just want to tell you, I love the album. It's phenomenal. I've been a huge fan forever. And uh, the fact, and I don't want to get Eddie going here, but I'm afraid to say this, but Gillis and Watson, not on the good uh, Rolling Stone 250 is absolutely horrific. I can't even oh, believe joke. it. <laughs> Did you know that? You even know I'm about that? Channel worms, uh-uh. but I just I died yeah. when those names were not there. I was like, "That's crazy." But uh, yeah. thank you for doing what you're doing, Jack. I absolutely love it, dude. You got it. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Mike. Thanks for calling, Mike. Thank you. And we love Albany. We love Albany. Yeah, th- I, well, I saw um, you this summer in Albany. It was a yeah, phenomenal yeah, show. I, loved I was Albany. there. Had a blast, right? Yeah, that was great. There, oh, there too, was too a... great, too great. All right, thank you, bud. I appreciate. Thanks for the call. There's a there it. was a list on Rolling Stone that came out recently that you know bastion of rock Rolling Stone these days, yeah. um, and they put out a list of the uh, in their view the 250 best guitar players, mm-hmm. and what was not there and represented at all, and what was there was beyond any comprehension of any logic whatsoever. And they did, um, I mean, everybody destroyed it. And I, again, I, as I say all the time, I mean, in a way, I probably just took the bait because that's what I think a lot of these lists are done for, uh-huh. to get clicks and get people talking about it. Yeah. But, um, and they put tandems, you know, they put like, they actually did put like K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton from Judas Priest. But when it came to Aerosmith, they put Joe, but they didn't put Brad. And most guitar players will tell you Brad is actually an amazing guitar player. He just doesn't get all the pub. Sure. Um, So, you know, I I made a point of how, like, uh, when I saw Jeff Watson and Brad Gillis initially on Don't Tell Me You Love Me, like, these two guitar players blew my mind out as a kid. And what an insane duo that was. And, of course, that continues now with Kerry, Kelly, and and Brad. But I just, like, you know, I just started screaming. And then that's what he's referencing, that I went crazy. I also went crazy at the end of uh, yesterday's uh, Friday show for people that heard because (laughs) I saw something at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction happened. And it said um, they were happy to have Peter Frampton as a special guest to honor Cheryl Crow and I lost my fucking mind because Peter Frampton has never even been nominated or is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame so how humiliating is oh it that he's going there and Peter's a gentleman and would never oh, yeah. scream and rant like the yeah. lunatic I am but I just went nuts I'm like how how do you have a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Peter Frampton is there but as a guest to nominate someone that he should be oh, Cheryl's great but she's yeah. been before like what yeah, do you like yeah. so I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to get riled I mean, up. No, don't get. I mean, I think madness. Nugent. Why isn't Nugent in the? Well, rock we know roll? why Nugent. Yeah, well, I Nugent's know, not I know. the right political but affiliation. Sticks in all, in sticks of course in not. Foreigners you know, not. It, Aria, you know. Foreign, I mean, you fucking guys should be. Mm-hmm. Don't please don't get me started. Yeah, right. Jared in Florida. Jared. Hey, Jack. Uh, good to speak with you. I'm uh, can almost rival Eddie for longevity of fandom. I go all the way back to early '80s. <laughs> saw you guys opening for Black Sabbath in Kalamazoo, Michigan. No um, shit. Are you serious? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, my I go God. way back. That's way, way back. back. That was like yeah, nineteen way. that was like nineteen eighty two or eighty three or so. Yeah, that was 80, way what back. What was that the, was that the Born Again tour? That was I don't yeah, even know Born, what tour. Jared, what tour was that for Sabbath? 
Born Again, uh, Wing Stadium, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh my God! That, that was, was the album with Ian Gillen singing. Ian, Gill- Ian Gillen was singing. They had all these like fake like rocks. That Stonehenge, were, yeah, Stonehenge and fake rocks that that he had his teleprompter. He had his teleprompter in there to read the lyrics. So there's a legendary like and Jared. I'll let you jump in. I'll let you continue. But there's a legendary story there because you all know in in um, Spinal Tap mm-hmm. when they well, no we're not doing fucking Stonehenge. Yeah. The, the stone hinges when they come down are so small right. that the little person is bigger than the stone hinge. That's the spinal tap thing. Sabbath on that tour did the opposite where their stone hinges were so big and they weren't doing well at the time. They had to, they couldn't fit them in most of the buildings. You're exactly so right. So they had to get rid of them. Oh I didn't know God. you guys opened shows. Oh on yeah. That. I think we opened like six shows or something like that. They got us on six shows. I remember that. God, that was crazy. That was crazy. Dude, we opened once. Um, I think Rubicon opened once for um, um, Lemmy. I mean, we were just, I mean, just total like a funk rock band. And, and Brad's like playing lead guitar and stuff like that for, uh, you know, for, and, and all these guys are standing right in front of him with a fucking big middle finger sticking straight up. <laughs> that was a rough game. Oh, my man. gosh. Oh, uh, so go ahead, Jared. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jared. Yeah, well, we got off on a jag here. No problem. Since we're on the topic, I guess I'll ask you a couple of questions. Uh, the first one is uh, when, you're, when you're opening for a band like Black Sabbath, do you guys make a conscious effort? to play heavier and i mean that that would be my first question on the music subject but on a personal subject i saw you on a show that was about par- about the paranormal and you were featured because you had some kind of incident i think it would might have been in new mexico or something where yeah, you said yeah. you were confronted by a specter of i think a, a cherokee warrior my Apache. first question was my my first question is was that legitimate and two was that an isolated incident or have you had other experiences like that no, that's that's the first time that ever happened to me. That was the craziest thing in the world. I but, think my wife saw that show and brought that up to yeah, me too because she knows we're friends Lakes. and yeah. they're like, "Tell Jack about that." Yeah, it was crazy. And I go, "What are you talking about?" Because I didn't see the show, and she's like, "There was a ghost or something." I don't know what what what's the story there. Yeah, it was crazy. I was in New Mexico at my cousin's place. He lives right at the mouth of Alamo Canyon in Alamogordo, New Mexico, and he has in an old adobe there. And it went, and, and I was out in his little guest cottage, his guest casita, and you know. And, and it's like all, all the windows were open because it's summertime. It was kind of hot and stuff like that. And so, and so I, was, I, I was sitting there, and I, I woke up out, just out of the dead of sleep like at 2 in the morning, just like, boom, I'm wide awake. I'm like, wow, this is weird. And it's weird wind blowing into the room, like weird. It's like blowing the back of my neck. It's like kind of freaking me out, you know, and it was like freaking me out. And I'm looking around. I'm looking around. Some, <laughs> it's gonna, arms on my, my hair on my arms are starting to come up again. But, but there, there was like, it was like, all of a sudden, I look in the window, out the window, and staring at me through the window is like 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 a, a specter of an Apache warrior with a with a white stripe straight across his you know from his like ear to ear you know over his nose and stuff like that and just just completely first of all I got up and um, you know and I'm going oh man I'm just gonna go you know I just go to the bathroom or something like that and I got up and it was weird and it's like the hair on the back of my neck was sticking out and everything and so I, I went this is really strange and I, so I sat down in this chair and right next to the window and I looked out and I actually saw that you know and, I, and it freaked me out you know and it freaked me it totally understandably it totally freaked me out it's like you know like what is it and the wind is blowing and stuff like that so so 
I, I, I finally like shut all the windows, turned the air conditioning on and all that kind of stuff and just sat in that chair and sat in the chair and I woke up sitting in that chair and, um, what had happened is I have a large collection of, of American military antiques, uniforms from the Civil War, ha- headgear, helmets, just all kinds of things, right? And, and I had brought with me a, an, an, uh, a coat from a cavalry officer from the 1880s that actually was in New Mexico, and it was actually in those hills and stuff like that. And I don't know if that, I think that's the spirit that was coming off of that. Like, they came back to get that guy. Hmm. And that coat was in that room with me because I was showing it to my cousin because he lived right there. And that guy was in the hills like right around Alamogordo chasing, chasing the Apaches in 1880 and 1881. And so it freaked me out. I'm sitting there. I woke up sitting in the chair. I literally woke up. And I've never done that before. I'm, you know, it's like I literally woke up like in the morning, sat in the chair. And I went to my cousin. And I said, dude, you can't believe it. I had the craziest dream. I thought it was dreaming. I thought it was a dream. You know, I said, I said. I, I, um, I, I, I think it, I don't know. It's like it was, the room was really windy and, and all this wind was blowing in and all this kind of stuff and everything like that. And my cousin, he looked at his wife and they looked at each other and they goes, there was no wind last night. We mm. have wind chimes out, out by our window and there was no wind last night. Hmm. And I'm like, what? What did this air on? This air, I don't know. Like discovery. discovery or something yeah, like that? Yeah, Discovery, I think it was, or something like and that. You get you, it on YouTube. Had you so. ever been... Um, never happened to be before. But did you ever... Did, were you ever one that would believe in something like that? No, before? no, not so at all. So it's the only thing... But dude, I do now. I, yeah. There's spirits. Those guys were out to come to get to that guy and kill that motherfucker that had that coat because he was chasing them all over the freaking... All over the desert out there. You know what I mean? It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what... That's, and my first... What was the first question about... Do we, you know, play we, heavier stuff when if you're we played, for a heavier band? Now, when we played with um, Black Sabbath, it was it was like basically one of our first tours. So we were just these, you know, we just did whatever we did. We did, you know, but everything was heavy. You know, it was like Eddie's coming out tonight. Don't tell me you love me. You know, it was all the heavy stuff sing off the away. album. Sing, sing me away. But I mean, it was like you know, can't find me a thrill. Play yeah. rough tonight. It was heavy. You oh, know, but I'm, that riff and sing me away is super heavy. I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So, so no, we don't we don't dress it up. We we got one time. It was Alice Cooper. We learned this from Alice Cooper. One time he was at a he was one of those big festivals where he was playing with all these heavy heavy. Heavy, heavy bands. And Alice Cooper and the guys, you know, um, Kerry was playing with him then. That was when Kerry Kelly, our guitarist, was playing with Alice. And, Alice, you know, and they walked in. And they said, Alice, man, we just went out there. And it's like Armored Saint, you know, this band, that band, all these like European heavy, you know, the metal bands like Duhas Mitt and, you know, those, you know, and everything yeah, like that. Ramstein. Yeah. Ramstein. And, and it was like, it was like, we should make sure we play the, you know, he went in there with Chuck, the bass player, and, and Kerry. And they're like, Alice, we really need to maybe we should play the heavier, let's really kind of do the, and Alice is just like eating some lunch or something, he looks up and he goes, no, we're just going to do what we do. Yeah. We're going to be Alice Cooper. Yeah. And we get out there, and the, fuck, the place came unglued. They came unglued for that hour and 20 yeah. minutes that he played. The place just came, it was the, it was the, he was the hit of the evening or something, you know. He just, it just came unglued. And it's like, hearing those stories like that, it's like, man, you just go out there and you do what you do. Paul Paul Stanley recently said a couple times in interviews that I saw that, that, uh, you know, Kiss has been on some of these festivals where people around them are the really heavy, heavy bands and they consider not doing I Was Made For Loving You in the set. And then he says, then they, 
one made the decision to put it in anyway, and they did. And he goes, it's hysterical. These guys with like these battle vests on with <laughs> logos of death metal bands they can't even read singing, I was made for that, you know, pumping their fist. So yeah, you can't you can't figure you it don't, out. You can't figure it out, man. Didn't you you open for Kiss on the Creatures in the Night Tour? Didn't we you? did, yeah. The ill fated Creatures when, in the Night Tour. When Vinnie Vincent was in the band. Two thousand and fifteen thousand cap buildings. That oh, was not it was, good. It was not good. Great yeah. record, but not a good Kiss yeah. could was trying to rebuild at that point. Yeah, that was it was rough. It was really rough, and they were really rough on Vinnie Vincent, man. Yeah. Those guys were just yeah, they were t- they were rough on him. So you're saying they were because the theory was Vinnie was always difficult, but you're saying it was brought about because they were rough on him? Well, they were just, I mean, they were brutal. You know, they were just like, you know, they're beating the shit out of him all the time. I'm like, do this, do that, do that. Come on. I mean, he had, I mean, it was just, it was just wild. I mean, Paul would get up there and go, dude, you can't even get these audiences going. I can stand out there, hold up a brick and people will cheer. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's probably true. Yeah. Paul's the greatest freaking front man, first right. of all, on the planet. His raps are the best raps on the freaking planet. <laughs> There's some compilations of them on YouTube I where they the edit best. them all together. It's unbelievable. <laughs> hey, everybody! I mean, I can't even do it. Snake from Skid Row's... Oh, my God. Skid Row opened some shows, and Snake from Skid Row told me that there was a thing they used to do when they opened for Kiss where they would give Paul Stanley a word every day that somehow he would have to work into his stage rap and they bet, Paul would bet them that he could find a way in the stage rap to say the most ridiculous non-rock and roll word like something, you know? And I forget, like, you know, it was something like, you know, a baby's loaded diaper. Let's see if you can say that, Paul, tonight. And somehow he would find a way to be like, do you love me? Do you love me more than a baby's dirty diaper? Like, just he'd find a way to do it every day, which is hysterical. But that would, you were opening for Kiss at a time where they were going through a rough time because yeah. that tour notoriously, even though Creatures of the Night is regarded as a cla- rightfully a classic Kiss record, record yeah. and a heavy Kiss record, they could not... They were coming off of a really bad run of the disco record, the pop record, the concept record, and they just could not, they could just not make things happen at that point. It was like a 10th anniversary tour. That, I, yes. still have the, I still have a, the stick on pass, I think, or something like that in a, in a scrapbook it, or something. Yeah, they were together the 10 years. The 10th years. anniversary tour, I yeah. think it was. Yeah. Alex in California. Alex, go ahead. You're on with Jack Blades. Alex. Hey, Jack. Hey, Eddie. How you guys doing? We're great, man. It's Alex Van Halen. Son of a I bitch. wish. Yeah, right. I'd love to talk to him. Nothing against you, Alex. No, no, no. Go talk to Alex Van Halen. There you go, Alex. Nice. Hey, man. Um, debut albums, I got to tell you. Dawn Patrol kicks butt. Every song you guys just mentioned, a bunch of them, man, that helped me get through some hard times when I was young. Thank you for that. You guys kicked butt. Dawn Patrol was a great record, man. That was an awesome record. What a great debut. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just when you talk right about the, the great debuts, that's one that should talk, be talked about more than it is. Dude, we had all our friends, like, rent out all the all the video gear for that video and stuff like that. We made that money on a sh- that video on a shoestring. Don't tell me don't you tell love me. Don't tell me video. Build a little train track. We did ghetto style. We just jumped up and, like, we did Train Town. You know Train Town over there in Burbank or something? There's a little place called Train Town. And we just did, 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 did totally, like, hit and miss, and they kicked us out of there. Because we were just filming and we didn't, you know, I mean. And that was, basically coincided with MTV starting, right? That was totally. I mean, MTV, when we gave them that video, they probably had six videos, I think, or something like a that. A Triumph Live video, yeah, a Billy Squire yeah, Live video. Yeah, <laughs> video, yeah like in a, a, 
uh, "Hungry Like a Wolf," you know, or something like that by Duran Duran or something. So you're like that. that vi- don't tell me you love me had like legit production value for MTV for that time because they were getting they were just taking concert clips. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we actually made a video for them and stuff like that, and that's what they got this thing and started playing it 14 times a day, and that actually helped us break the band. I don't, yeah. Alex. I don't mean to go off on a jag here, but I could you know go off forever. Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> What's your question, oh, man? One more quick question, if I may. Go ahead. Um, oh, now I just lost it. Jeez. Damn Yankees. Another one. You guys kicked ass. Is there any yeah. any chance of you guys getting back together for a tour? I don't know. We played with Ted. Um, Ted came in. The and eternal sat, question. Ted, yeah, the eternal question. Ted came and sat in with us. Where were, where were we? We were in Michigan, up in Upper Peninsula. In, um, in, in, yeah, but what was the name of the city? What was that? I forgot. Anyway, we were, we were with Ted, and he came and jammed, and, and we did Coming of Age, and then we did Cat Scratch Fever. It was just great. I would love to do the damn Yankees. I mean, I think the, I think the, the people would really enjoy that, but I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. You know, Eddie, you and I go around and around and around about this. You know, and Tommy was with you telling you, like, he'll never do it again. So I don't know what's going on. I think the way to – I've said this before, and this actually – I can't take credit for this idea. This actually came from one of my listeners. But I think the way to do it, if there was ever going to be a chance to do it, is kind of similar to what just happened with Ted getting up with you because everybody's got their schedules. But put a summer shed tour together that sticks Night Ranger Nugent. Totally. And then at the end, everybody does a mini damn Yankee set. That's, that that would be. That would I mean, we. T- I think that would be killer, dude. We've talked about that. I mean, the dude from the Grateful Dead, Mickey Hard, they do that. I mean, Mickey was telling me he says we ran out of a valley, and then we just get guys. We just you know we're like my band plays, and you know Planet this, and and then and then we get uh, Bob Weir's band to play, and then this band, and then we play. Right. You know, and he said it's it's just always it works out great, and they're just everybody's playing together and stuff like that. Yeah, I the, think that would be a blast. The problem, of course, that you have is that Ted, who claims that he's retired now, but he does say that Jeez. he does say that he'll he well. In fairness to Ted, because everybody plays the farewell card, and nobody holds to it. We all know that. But Ted actually did say to me that he's done touring. He'll yeah. still play shows. Correct. He doesn't want to go out, out, out. Yeah. Um, and then you know, Skinner Cardelloni, of course, is in Skinner, and Skinner's been talking about ending forever and they're still uh, adding they just added more shows with ZZ Top so <laughs> you know it's, it's nobody's ever really done but it would be great to see I who did I just see in an interview because I was talking about this that said that they were also approached in the early days about being in Damn Yankees which would have made it a three guitar band was Rick Emmett yes in his book Rick just put out an autobiography and said Kalodner approached him about being in Damn Yankees. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So, yeah, yeah, that is true. Rick's a great guy. Yeah, yeah so it would have been guy. a three-guitar band? I, I don't know if it would have been that. Or, t- or, or instead Ted, of Tommy it, or Ted? Instead of, instead of one of those guys. But I think it was like Tommy and me and him, was it? I don't know. I think it was. I think it was Claudner just making, you know, hedging, just making sure that if somebody dropped out or something like that, he'd still have a a killer guitar player with a great vocal and stuff like that. That would be more like Tommy though, because that's with, Rick with the way he vocal, sings, right. With his vocals and guitar playing and stuff right. like that, he's such a great guitar player and right. singer. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Maybe exactly. it was going to be like a thing if Tom, before they had thought of Tommy or if Tommy couldn't do it. I don't know. Yeah. And then the other damn Yankees bit of folklore out there is about the record that was made without Tommy with Damon Johnson. And then Tommy came in on it too. And he was involved in it also at the end. 
It was just, yeah, that was ugly, dude. And that was, you were part of that. Yeah, that was that was messed up. What, what, and that never came out, and no, no music no, from it ever no, came out. No, no, and it's no, not no. good. Some no, it's it, it's it's crazy. Although play, Ted played me a couple things that were some of the demos that we had when I saw him up in uh, um, Michigan, and it was like there was some kick-ass stuff on that. I mean, now that I think about it, all this all this time. But it was later, a completed so like, record. It, yeah, it was a complete record, but it was absolutely not right. It right. wasn't it wasn't right. It wasn't damn Yankees. The producer just didn't didn't get what damn Yankees was. It was just crazy. Hmm. It was just really crazy. Uh maybe time for one or two more if we have time. Here's Chad in Michigan joining us right now. Hey Chad, you're on the air. Hey Chad. Uh my phone's taking a second to connect. Chad, you there? Yeah. Joe, Hello. pick him up for Oh, we got him. Go ahead, Chad. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was Traverse City, Michigan, Jack. Traverse City. That's what it was. I love yeah. Traverse City. I can't remember yeah, the name, was, but I loved it. That was fun. Were you there? Yeah. Yeah. No. Wasn't that fun with Ted coming out? Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. And, uh, I, I saw you the first time I saw you guys was at Central Michigan University. It was the, uh, seven wishes tour when you came out of the genie bottle. <laughs> yeah yeah i'd love to find yeah. out where whatever happened to that genie bottle i'd love to have yeah, yeah i'd love it i had i had half that stuff in my barn for about 25 years and finally i just like scrapped it all out for <laughs> scrap metal or something you know that was your own little stonehead yeah right genie bottle. <laughs> right, right. And, chad what, what's your last, question well the guy that called before just took my question i was gonna ask you about the damn yankees but so he stole my phone yeah yeah well, we always uh, Ted and I Ted Ted and I talk all the time, and um, you know, and Tommy, and also, and and Michael. But Ted and I, Ted and I were just saying we just got to do some music together, you know, because like I said, he hasn't, you know, he's 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 still got the fire, man. He's still got the fire inside, you know. Ted does. I mean, he always will. I mean, that's just who he is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he just still he's still playing, dude. He played. Per- I was I was. I was busting his ass saying, Dad, you're not going to be able to play coming of age because Tommy would always like bag on him like, I'm not sure he ever really learned high enough. He'd play the solo. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I'm like, could he actually play high enough? I'm not really, you know what I mean? It's like, but I'm, and so I was bagging on him, you know, before that. I was like, dude, you didn't learn this. Side. He's like, and so after the show, he's like, comes up to me and nudges me and says, huh? Huh? How'd I do, huh? <laughs> note for note, Blades. Note uh, for note on coming uh, of age, right? I mean, it was so great. Right. He's so too great. much. He's too much. He's so good. If you, you ever get on the, some of those uh, Ted text threads, I'm, some, I'm on some of them. They're oh just hysterical. God, yeah. When he gets on a, a tangent oh, did, about something. I get on the phone with him. It's like he's spitting through the phone. <laughs> <I> mean, it's <laughs> too much. <laughs> Gary in North Carolina. Go ahead, Gary. Hey, Gary. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's going on, Jack? Hey, man, I just want to uh, – I saw you September the 29th of this year in Cherokee, and that's a great story because – of what happened that night because lover boy didn't show up and i would love to hear the story coming from you how how did y'all get a set for that i mean because it was a great show man y'all did everything i mean i just loved the what you did with the yankees with night Ranger. Right. you came out and did all kinds of good stuff so man yeah. i just want to say thank you for coming out and just doing what you did but but Tell us, uh, tell us a story about what happened with Loverboard that night. 
Yeah, what happened that the, um, we, were, we were playing, we were like doing a co-headline thing, or it, Loverboy was going to f- um, close the show in Cherokee, um, it was right near Asheville, North Carolina, and it was a sold-out show, like 3,500, 4,000 people, some, a great, great venue, really, really, really killer thing. So that was when those big storms were hitting you guys in New York oh, City, yeah, yeah. And, um, and two of the guys in Loverboy were, st- were flying down, I don't know why, like the day of the show from New York, they couldn't get out of LaGuardia. They couldn't, I mean, LaGuardia mm. was flooded. They were right. shutting everything down. Right. I mean, I think it was Mike and Paul. I mean, Mike Reno and Paul Dean were, mm. were both in New York City, and they were like, no, and they, they were going to try to get um, somebody's private plane. They were like, it was supposed to get um, 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 Hall, um, Daryl Hall's private plane because they have the same manager, and it was flo- but they couldn't get the, pri- the private, they couldn't get the private plane to even land in to get them to come out, you know, to get them to fly them down, right. and all this kind of stuff. So, so at, at about like, you know, like an hour hour before showtime they're like they can't make it or two hours before show it's like what are we going to do what are we going to do and we said well you know what do you want it i mean like you know what do you want us to do we'll sit here and play and the the, the people are looking at us the promoters looking, and we said we'll tell you what we'll play a two-hour show we'll play it we'll, we'll we'll cover it for both bands you know we'll play the whole thing we'll throw them you know we'll just we'll just play a kick-ass show we'll play a bunch of songs that we love we played an um alice cooper song we did um um uh, crazy train and had brad play we did all this stuff we just played all these songs we did more damn yankee stuff we did this that we played for over two hours we played for over two hours and the place I think six people left when they heard that Loverboy wasn't going to be there. But the, the, the rest of the 3,800 people stayed and freaking standing ovations, crazy. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, a gra- it was like a wonderful. Turned out to be a, a great a great th- oh yeah a totally. great night. and one yeah. night, one point we all we got a bunch of those headbands a bunch of Loverboy red headbands <laughs> and we all turned around and we put the freaking head headbands on and we had the whole audience sing working for the weekend uh, you know I mean great. we did we did shit like that man yeah. we had a blast and I'm telling you we'll come back and play for you guys anytime there man we love that and we can't wait to come back like next year and play for those folks because it was just it was a killer show killer people I mean North Carolina it was just killer all the way around. Great to visit with Jack Blades. Appreciate him spending some time with me from the sands in Cancun, Mexico. Addie. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flavanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips, and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. 
Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Promised you an extra interview this week on the podcast. Here it is, Kip Winger, checking in, talking about a new Atlantic Records box set of Winger material and more. Here's Kip. What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? Nice to talk Good, to you. Good, man. What are you up to? Where are you at? You in Nashville? Yep. And uh, getting we're, we're in between Winger shows uh, we played last weekend. We're doing this weekend coming up. So, uh, yeah. What about what how's it been? Thing, man, I want to hear that. When's that? When's that going to air? Tomorrow at three o'clock Eastern. So if you're in Nashville, two on my channel on 103 on my on my show. Yeah, we just did a whole. He just played live, and um, I don't know if you heard. He's going to go out and play a bunch of Van Halen this summer. And he's got Joe Satriani on guitar, Michael Anthony on bass, and. I just sat five feet from those guys and watched them play that stuff. Sammy's 76 years old. I just heard him sing Summer Nights. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah, he's, he's, he, he's incredible. He can sing everything. I mean, it's unbelievable, man. man I got I to gotta hear that. He told me the only thing he can't sing from his era of Van Halen. You're a singer. Take a guess, Kip. I have wouldn't have a clue, man. Wouldn't have a clue. I mean, I'm I'm struggling with a few things here and there. I mean, I can still do it, but he's he's uh, he's got twelve years on me. So, uh, he you remember the song "Dreams," right? Sure. Get higher and higher. You know, uh, he said he admitted he goes can't do that one anymore. He goes, we got to do a totally different arrangement, whatever. I said, I don't know how you did that one when you did it in '86. Oh, he's incredible. The nicest guy ever, too. And you know what's crazy? So where I was sitting in the room, because there will be video of this as well, where I was sitting in the room, the stool was right, like literally a foot away from Michael Anthony. And that guy's voice is so loud and so high, he's like a foot off his microphone and he's he's blowing it out. That guy is incredible vocally. He's amazing, man. He he was always the secret weapon, and a lot of I'm, a lot of people realize it, but a lot of people didn't get that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's you hear those voices blend together. It's it's truly incredible. I got to ask you, since you brought it up, when you said there's a couple things that are hard for you now, uh, given at your age after all these years, what winger songs are the ones that are toughest for you? There, you know, like the end of Madeleine, where we do the where we do the uh, modulation. Um, that's was too tough to take. Yeah. It's, it's it's at the end of an hour and a half. I mean that that's pretty, that can be pretty <laughs> tough, man. I'm still hanging in pretty good, though. I have to say. 
I agree, that. man. I see, I see you guys play often all the time, and you and you absolutely are. Hey, before we talk about this reissue, you know, I mentioned the latest record, Seven, which is fantastic, and I know you put a lot of work into it. Now that it's been out for a little while, what was the reception? Has the reception been, and have you been able to do much of it live? It's been great. I mean, we've got you know. It did really well, and and people seem to like it. Um, and we do two songs off it live, and possibly one more coming. So yeah, I mean, it's been we opened with a brand new song right off that record, the song called "Stick the Knife in and Twist," and we do "Proud Desperado," that song we wrote, we co-wrote with Desmond, and uh, we've tried a few of the other ones that we'll be sprinkling. You know, in and in and out here and there, but the reception's been great, man. I mean, I, I couldn't ask for a better, uh, you know, kind of reception from the audience. They seem to really like it. We put a lot into and, that album. Yeah, no, I know you did, and we talked about it as you were building it. You were sending me stuff from it. We were talking about it a little bit, and I remember I was talking to you before it was released, and I said, "Man, it's so hard." for acts from the eighties or seventies or even nineties to that the audience is so, you know, stagnated in terms of like, they stopped listening to new music in like 93 or whatever. Um, it's so hard yeah. for them to get to know you have new music out, get them to care about it, get them to know about it, get them to get into it. And you were like, well, we're going to really attack that with videos and trying to really get the word out. So do you feel you were able to do that? Or you, do you still feel there's, you talk to people who have no idea you put out a new record? No, I mean, everybody that comes to our shows knows about the record. So I think we were largely successful on that. I think maybe some of the fans that really only know us in the cliche way, you know, from the old days, don't know. But anybody who's been really, you know, kind of paying attention, which is a lot of... We've been having really good attendances. We sold out our last two shows. Everybody knew all the new stuff. So, I mean, it's been in Japan. We played Japan uh, a month and a half ago, and they all knew it. Like, they were just totally into it. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really pleasantly surprised how that, you know, kind of went down. And I think the videos had a lot, a lot to do with it. Um, and, you know, we're just out there hammering it. So, we've been Did you guys... Did you guys go over to Japan early on? Did you play there? Did you go? Did Winger tour a lot outside of the U.S.? Did you build a a following uh, big outside of America anywhere? Not as much as I would have liked to, but definitely in Japan for sure, um, and somewhat Australia, UK. We do really well in the UK, um, but we never toured Europe as much as I would like to because I love it over there, but. Um, it's, it's selective markets, Italy and Spain. We do pretty well. Because you know what I'm curious about? Everybody, of course, knows of the, you know, the absurd backlash that you guys endured with the whole Beavis and Butthead and all that stuff at that time. But I don't was was it out? Were there markets like when all that was going on? And you guys couldn't get arrested in America. Was there markets like outside of the U.S.? Like, could you go to Japan where that wasn't a thing, and you were looked at as just being the great band and musicians you were, and still have uh, an audience? Were you able to find some escapes from that during that time in other countries? No, no, that was a worldwide uh, phenomenon that affected us. Really, everywhere I went. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. Because that show was seen there, or there was just a backlash to that scene? 
the show was seen everywhere. It was like the biggest show in MTV history, to my knowledge. I mean, it was uh, it was everywhere in the world. I, I was at that time when the band couldn't get gigs. I was still trying to get acoustic gigs, and I, I would do interviews in Norway and then uh, you know uh, Denmark and UK and all over Europe, and people would always bring it up. Yeah, I didn't know if that show was international. I thought it was just an American thing. I didn't know, so it zonked you all over the world. That's unbelievable. Yeah. But, um, well, uh, speaking... Go ahead, Kip. Go ahead. What were you saying? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, speaking of that, you know, the old days, they are now being revisited with this box set, which has come out, which takes your first three albums on Atlantic, as well as a bonus disc, remastered audio some extra stuff some demos from the uh from the first record on a bonus disc in there uh so tell us about the box set and how it came about did they just was the catalog division just approached you or did you orchestrate it how did it come about no man i i really need to give credit where credit's due this was this was the uh, larry mazer who we all know is a is a very experienced rock and roll manager who's been around for decades. He was the one that said, man, you got to do a box set. You got to do a box set. And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I wasn't sure at first. And then I started, we started talking about it and, and uh, I realized that it'd be a cool thing to do because a lot of the bands that were on Atlantic Skid Row, for example, they'd all, you know, kind of already had them out. And so the other motivation for me was, that they've done a lot of remasters of our records and I've never been involved. They've never asked me to be involved. I've never approved any of them. And so on this one, it was really my, my thing. I went in and got Ted Jensen, the guy who mastered the first three records and got him to remaster the, these, all of these records. So he knew what he did on the first, on the first versions of them. And we were able to go in and, uh, you know, find all the right, all the correct versions of the songs and, uh, you know, remaster them. And he's in Nashville now, so it was very convenient. We we hung out and, and uh, revisited the old versions and then, you know, remastered the new ones. And he's a god. I mean, the guy mastered, you know, Hotel California, for example. He's just been around for decades and he's really, in my opinion, one of the very best legendary mastering engineers. So we were lucky to have him in the beginning, and then he's done this. And so this is the only box set or remasters that I've ever been involved in that I approved, for one thing. And then I went into store, storage and found a whole bunch of old photos that never been seen, old lyrics that I even forgot I had to a lot of the stuff, artwork that shows... Uh, the evolution of the first album cover, which was that really unusual co uh, album cover with the weird face, um, who I'm, I'm still very tight with the artist. And he sent me all his original drawings, even when the band was called Sahara. So there's a lot of artwork on there that's never been seen before. And um, I've told this to a lot of people. I didn't put any bonus cuts on there because in my mind, those weren't supposed to be on the album. So they're just, it's just the albums that I envisioned the way they would be the records and the bonus cuts in my mind weren't good enough to be on the record. So I left them off. So it's the first three records plus a disc of demos that 
um, kind of show the evolution of the songs in some ways and what how Rev and I did the demos before we actually uh, cut the masters to the records. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about all that bonus material in terms of photographs and stuff like that, I'm assuming that's only in the vinyl version because I've got the CD version and I don't have any of that. I got the disc, but I don't have any sort of booklet or artwork. Is that only the vinyl version? Yeah, and that, you know what, I, I will say that that really disappointed me when I they told me that, and I didn't know that. I didn't actually know this was going to come out on CD. I found that out later, and when I found out that they didn't uh, – include the the uh artwork to that that really bummed me out i have to say me too me too because yeah. i'm a cd guy i mean i i'm i mean i know vinyl's a thing again and i know people love their vinyl but i i that's not me i'm i love cd still and i was super psyched that it did come out on cd but it was just the slip cases there was nothing in there yeah i'm sorry eddie i'm gonna send you a vinyl even though you're not into it <laughs> <laughs> well i love it i love I love the packaging. I just don't have a turntable, and I'm not I'm not interested in, in getting one again. But when you when you um, me neither, you know, dude. me neither. I mean, I've got I've got some I've got some really choice vinyls, but I'm thinking like, okay, which turntable am I going to get, and where am I going to put it? You know, like right, man. storing it, yeah. skipping pop. I always maintain every reason why. CDs put vinyl out of business is still relevant. <laughs> you know, I just but it's become a fad and it's a it's a thing and I get it. And look, I'm I always say this all the time. I'm thrilled that anybody anymore cares about owning music physically because let's Absolutely. face it, younger people, the idea of having it in physical format is like you, you know they think you're like insane. So I don't care if you want cassette, 8-track vinyl, whatever, whatever your trip. I love that people get everything anything physical, but my trip I still love CDs and cuz they're physical, digital best of all worlds in my opinion i agree i will say though that if you have a really well done vinyl and and a really good vinyl system it does have a thing to it that really is irreplaceable in the sound department i mean it really sounds cool but along those lines kip talking about sound right so you say all look my audience anybody that's into music constantly hears about things being remastered and sometimes the artist is involved sometimes they're not sometimes remasters don't sound as good as the original because somebody who had nothing to do with them goes in and screws them all up for you what when you worked with ted jensen on these and and listening to those first three records you made with winger what what were the things that you and Ted agreed that or talked about that could have been improved on from previous versions? Clarity. There's a lot of things we cleaned up in the low end and 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 just certain kind of EQ that we worked on to just make the especially the first album because the first album was done completely on analog tape and the, and and so we we spent a lot of time you know, kind of cleaning that up. The second record was was done on um, digital machines. It was still tape. And so we had a little bit of less cleaning up to do on that, but we still gave it some extra punch and, and you know, kind of made the high, sparkled up the high end a little bit. But a lot of mastering engineers will do this and they'll overdo it. And they kind of take it upon themselves to give their stamp on it. And then it, it doesn't come out sounding how we would have intended it to. And so, and a lot of times it's distorted and they don't even, they don't even, uh, you know, can't, they can't even hear it and they over compress it and all this kind of thing. So 
we were just really careful in cleaning it all up and giving it the right amount of uh, compression because, you know, you can overdo that and and because and, everybody wants their records to be loud and, and all of that. And I'm not a big fan of that. I'm really, we were really careful in getting the, you know, getting it as loud as we could without like compromising the actual distortion, you know, sonic distortion that you might be hearing from that. And that's so important in, in, in the business that's known as brick walling when you, take something and to the, so the audience knows and you, and you make it so loud and so compressed that you can't hear the separation in any of it. And it drives me nuts, especially as a radio guy, because uh, what happens when I put a song on the radio is even more compression is added because of the station processing. So you really right. have a complete mess when it's right. already too compressed and already too loud. And then radios, radio, all radio stations have processing that puts more on it, and it just becomes this mishmash of shit coming out over the air. Totally, man. And and the dynamics are completely gone. So I'm a big fan of dynamics, old school. Um, you know, so we spent a lot of time on that, and I'm really happy with the result. And I can say, you know unequivocally this is the the kip winger uh, seal of approval you know box set remaster it's the only one and there's been many this is the only one that i had anything to do with and what was it like for you to go back and listen to the first three records again what what was it like for you as an artist that that made them? Are you a guy that generally listens to your old records, or I mean, you just play the stuff live and you know it, and that's the end of it? I never listen to my music. Um, I only listen to it when I'm writing it. Rarely I'll go back and hear. So it was really interesting to go back and listen to it because I haven't listened to them for years, you know. And I oh right, I'm I w the biggest experience I had was going wow, I'm singing that incorrectly live, you know. Um <laughs> the phrasing, you know, because I and and it's a good it's a good wake up call because I don't like it when I go see one of my favorite bands and the lead singer's taking so many liberties on the lead vocal that it's unrecognizable, you know, the phrasing and all of that. So it kind of like corralled me back into singing the songs the way they originally were um it was fun to listen to it because i remember recording those records like it was yesterday and uh right down to specifically like where i was standing when reb cut the solo to headed for a heartbreak for example um and so you know it was really a great walk down memory lane for me i have said this many, many times that I would actually like to also remix first two records because by the time we got to the third record, it was really the sound that I'd been hearing in my head for the band the whole time, you know, really a, a, a little bit more raw and in your face kind of with the way Mike Shipley treated it. And the first two records as classic as they are, have a little bit of that, you know, they get, well, they, a lot of the eighties stamp with the, with the sampled snares and stuff like that. And it'd be very interesting for the listeners to just hear the raw tracks, you know, kind of mixed more of in a, in a live setting. But to answer your question, I mean, it was really fun and, and interesting for me to, to remember what we did on that stuff. Cause like I say, I never, I never, I hadn't listened to them in years. Yeah, the first two albums were done by Bo Hill, and then that third record you changed to to Mike Shipley, 
And I think I think what's interesting for people that maybe got the first two records, and we all know the scene changed, and I think Pull was, what, 93? Was that the yeah. year on that? Yeah. So, I mean, 93, you know as well as anyone, Winger or anyone else from the 80s wasn't going to get arrested with new music uh, post-Nirvana. And you guys obviously you know, caught the brunt of that too, maybe more so than anyone else. But that is a great record. So in a lot of ways, I think um, you know maybe this box set will put some new shine on on that third record if people checked out after the first two. It's really interesting how that third record has become really a cult record among among uh, our fans for sure, and 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 uh, fans of that genre in general. Everywhere we go in the world, everybody said that pull. Oh, that's the record, and now a lot of people are saying that seven and pull are their favorite records. But mm. to Bo Hill's credit, I mean, he did a lot for the band. He he was um, he was my mentor since I was like sixteen years old. So by the time we cut the se- the first record uh, when I was I think twenty seven. You know, I had worked with him a lot, and I'd learned basically everything I knew about the studio from Bo up until that point, and 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 we did give it a real sound, and and there was a real thing to that first album that did somewhat set us apart, especially with having like Rod Morgenstein do some clever turning around on seventeen and stuff like that, and uh, and I'm proud of those records. I would just say that by the time I got to the third record, I really was able to define who the band really, uh, really was um, as a, uh, on a, on an album in, you know, recording an album. And then of course you finally get that all dialed in third album. And then, you know, you knew the writing was on the wall because pull in 93, it's a couple of years after Nirvana and the whole thing changed what what was the end like there for you with Atlantic? Because you only had the three records on Atlantic. Because I'm assuming they dropped you after Pull, right? Yeah, I mean it was over. Listen, that's why we called it Pull, dude. We knew it was over. I mean, that Pull is a <laughs> is a is an inside joke about skeet shooting. You know, like we're going to throw our record out there, the whole world's going to go Pull. You know? <laughs> I didn't know that. That's funny. <laughs> you you saw it coming. Totally, man. We saw it. We absolutely saw it coming. And that's that, you know, there's an interesting element to that, to having something to prove in there that um, that also contributed to the fact that it was such a good record. I mean, I really, you know, spent we spent a lot of extra time on that. And uh, I mean, I think it holds up to anything nowadays. So. Yeah, we saw it coming. But to answer your question, I mean, yeah, the record company was dropping bands like us and signing bands like Nirvana. And so, and then, you know, we had the added extra element of the fact that I was at the scene of the crime on the, with all that other extra stuff that happened. And, uh, and so, yeah, there were some dark times in there, but we never really like broke up. We were kind of like, well, look, we can't even get a gig. So let's reconvene at a later date. And uh, everybody's going to move on to their own thing for now. And Reb, of course, went on to play with many greats, uh, Night Ranger, Doc, and Alice Cooper, and then ultimately Whitesnake. But um, and so and and many people. I don't know if people know this, but you know we're still the all original members. So when we go out and play this stuff, you know people can see the guys that actually played it in the studio to begin with. So 
And as you well know, like there's the resurgence of the of the attendance in these concerts has gone up from the bottom up, man. I mean, you know, Def Leppard's selling stadiums. And we're feeling it at our level too. You know, we're selling out a lot of of our shows. You know, in the eight hundred thousand seaters, and and it's been really good for everybody. Um, I don't know what's happened, and what's going on, but you know, can't complain that thirty five years later we're still getting great gigs. You know, and I'm happy to well, be with a band that I've never gotten in a legal battle with. We all love each other. We have a great time, and we don't play to track. Thank God. You know, I just talked to Sammy Hagar about that earlier, too, because he told me he's bringing a keyboard player out on this tour with him because he wants to do everything totally live and totally real. And uh, I was like, man, we need more people doing that because it's an epidemic what's going on out there. So I got nothing but respect for you and uh, Sammy and all these other guys that believe a live rock show should actually be live. What a freaking concept, right? Unbelievable. Um, I I mean, look, I'm just a diehard 70s guy. I don't even use in-ears. I want the monitors blaring my, blowing my head off. <laughs> what What do you think is the key to – you? You Winger is so unique in that you are, like, maybe on one hand, if that, can I count bands from your era that have all original members – what I mean, what do you attribute that to? I mean, that is literally unheard of. I mean, I, I can't think of many others that, that could, I don't know. I don't know right now off the top of my head, if I can think of any others that could say that right now, man, it, we're just really good friends and, 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 and we have a great time and everybody's very funny. So it's just fun. It's a really fun hang. And when I'm on stage and I'm watching Reb play the solo of the Headed for a Heartbreaker, Rod, like, break into the drums, uh, you know, on any given track that he really cuts loose on, it's an honor to be on stage with these guys, you know. Paul Paul is an incredible musician in his own right. He's been, Paul's also been in a ton of great bands. Um, but, you know, he breaks into Miles Away. I mean, he's the guy that wrote the tune, you know. So, um and John Roth, we consider him kind of an original member, but he's in since 92. But, you know, it's just we have a really good time. We're good friends. We we really uh, have a lot of respect for each other, and that's really what it's all based off of. Listen, dude, if I didn't dig, if I had like a, a feud with one of these guys, I wouldn't be doing this because I don't need to do it. I mean, I it's uh, it's because I dig the guys in the band, and, and we have a lot of fun, you know. Um, because as you know, I've got my whole classical world that's doing great, and I'm very um, interested in in uh, you know furthering my ability to compose. But uh, so if we were like suing each other, I wouldn't even do this. Yeah, and for people who want to see more on that side of you, they should check out the uh, series that's on Paramount Plus called "I Want to Rock." three-part series that spotlights some of these 80s guys, Kip being one of them, and tells the story of uh, the start and then the evolution and then some of the other things that they do. And there's a good piece in there on your your, your other side doing the classical, which you, you have more stuff coming down the pike with that? I do. I'm making a record with Nashville Symphony now. They did my first symphony, and I've got a violin concerto that I'm just now finishing that, that we're going to record sometime next year. And last thing, you know, for the longest time with Reb, your guitarist, being in Whitesnake as well, 
you really had to kind of juggle that because to play winger full band shows, you were trying to balance that with white snake schedule. It would appear that for the most part, David Coverdale's kind of put white snake to bed. I mean, I talked to him a lot recently and he seems to kind of be wishy-washy if he's ever going to go out again. So my point in bringing that up is looking forward to the next year or two, do you envision being able to, to tour and do you want to tour a lot more with full winger shows? Because now there, there really isn't that, conflict with reb it's great not to have the conflict it's it's an interesting thing how that happened because the conflict made it um so that like i really developed my acoustic show as you've seen many times um and that became a really nice mainstay for me in terms of being able to gig but the band is just so much fun and i don't really want to do the band i mean I always said that I would never do Winger without these the original members. Paul was not in the band for a long time, and it's great to have him back. Reb and Rod are such integral parts to the actual sound that I never wanted to do that. And I did do it for a small period of time with Jake Fawn taking Reb's place because Reb, um, it, it, the scheduling worked out that they went out with Whitesnake when we didn't know they were coming out, but... So there was a small period of time where I did that. I don't want to do that again. So it's been great to have Reb fully available. Of course, we have great respect for David Coverdale and White Snake Legacy. And I don't think at this point that it would really interfere because I don't think David would go out on a embark on a big long tour. And if he plays again, it's probably going to be, you know, a few shows here, a few shows there, or something like that. But uh, it's been great to, you know, have free reign to book as many gigs as we want to. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, man, always good to talk to you. Uh, check out the Winger. Is there an actual name for the box set? I don't have it right in front of me. Is there a name? Chapter 1, The Atlantic Years. Now, Chapter 1 would lead to believe, is there a Chapter 2 of the other records down the line? Funny, you, you know, because... I thought, well, I've I got to do a box set of everything that came after it, and that would be our chapter two. So, and I've thought about many ways to do that. So, yeah, there's probably going to be another one. I don't know when, but sooner than later. All right, and uh, of course, the new Winger Studio album, which came out this year, is out there right now too. If you didn't, if you didn't get hip to that, check it out. It's a fantastic record called Seven. And that is available as well. And uh, listen, man, if you find your, yourself anywhere near Vegas on December 11th, come to my 40th and radio party. I'm, I'm pretty sure I sent you an invite. I know you're not in immediately in the area, but it'd be great to have you. Yeah, I was just looking at my calendar. I thought it was the 10th. It's on the 11th, is it? The 11th, yeah. There's going to be a lot of people there. Sammy and Michael are going to be headlining it. So you want to come, you want to hang and have a drink, you want to get up and jam, whatever you want to do. I'd love to have you. I'm going to try to make it. All right, man. Well, if you do make it and you decide you want to play a song or two, let me know. Uh, Brent Woods and Mike Portnoy are running the jam and running the house band, so we'll connect you. But otherwise, if you want to just come and hang, that's fine, too. I appreciate it, man. I'd, I'd love to be there. Hope I hope you make it. All right, buddy. Thank you. Uh, good, good, good to catch up with you, and uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon. Thank you, man. Have a great time. Thank you to Kip Winger. Check out the new Winger album, which is out now, called Seven and also the Atlantic Records Years box set, which also has come out.
And also thanks earlier to Jack Blades. Be sure to follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter or X, Instagram or Facebook page for info and updates on everything I have going on. EddieTrunk.com is where you'll find all my appearances. Appreciate you listening. Catch me on the radio Monday through Friday, live 3 o'clock Eastern on Faction Talk 103 or anytime on the SiriusXM app. And catch me back here next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill for me? That's right, the little pink pill. And it's called Addy, A-D-D-Y-I, or Flavanserin. Learn more about the little pink pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at addy.com slash PI or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved little pink pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.